0: maple grove minnesota and sixfootmama.com this is still growing with jennifer ebling still growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing. And thank you for listening. I'm your host Jennifer Ebling. Well, I want to start the way that I always do by welcoming new members to our listener community. It's a private group in Facebook called the Still Growing Podcast Group. And this week, I'd like to welcome Janet Paulson, Elizabeth Kiefner, Bridget Wilson Anderson, Eric Lindeen, and Sandy Jones. Welcome, you guys! And if you'd like to join our private listener community on Facebook, all All you have to do is go to the search bar and type in still growing podcast group. And if you look under the group tab, our group will pop right up. Now, it's a private group. So, you have to request to join. And once I verify that you're not a scammer or a robot, I'll admit you to the group and then you can join us. It's a great place to ask questions. You can share your own garden stories, interact with the great guests that are featured on Still Growing, and also connect with other listeners of the show. And here's the great thing about the group it's where I post all of the awesome garden giveaways from my guests and sponsors for my lucky listeners. And it's the only place where I pick winners For those giveaways. So, if you want to win something that you hear about on the show, you've got to be in that group first. So, go ahead, check it out. I'd love to meet you in the Still Growing Podcast group on Facebook. I also did put a shortcut, a little quick link to our group on my website. So, if you go to sixfootmama.com, that's the number six, F T M A M A dot com, you'll see there's a tab called Facebook group. And you could just click on that, it will take you right to the group. So, that's another way that you can get to the group quickly if you're not sure how to navigate all the different search mechanisms that are in Facebook. Well, this week, the giveaway winner of the Deborah Madison Cookbook Giveaway, that was for her episode, episode 533, where we were talking about her fantastic cookbook, Vegetable Literacy, is Melissa Vickers. And Debra's giving away one of her cookbooks from her collection. And Melissa Vickers, you're the winner, so congratulations. Make sure you private message me in the group with your address. Yes. <laughs> Just your physical address, and I'll make sure that Deborah sends you the cookbook. So, congratulations. Well, the group is also where I post things that I have curated for listeners throughout the week. It's things that I think you'd be interested in. I really try to be discerning in what I post there so that you're not getting bombarded. I did post a fantastic update from Deborah Madison, and I had shared this last week as, as well, but her cookbook, Vegetarian Suppers, is On sale right now for $1.99, the Kindle or the ebook version. So if you go to most online sellers, you'll see that the ebook version of this cookbook is just $1.99. I think it's like 90% off or something, but it's a really great cookbook. And did you know that if you go to Amazon, you can actually purchase a Kindle book as a gift for someone? All you have to do is when you're in the Kindle store, select the book that you want to purchase as a gift, and then on the product detail page, click the Give as a Gift button, and then you just enter the personal email address of the person that you want to get the gift for, and then you can even control when they get the gift. So you can enter a delivery date in an optional gift message, and then you just click Place the Order, and you're done. So I'm giving Deborah Madison's Vegetarian Suppers as a stocking stuffer for the ladies in my family for Christmas. I thought it was a great idea, something really fun that they can use and enjoy this year. Plus, it's a little more exciting than a gift card to Starbucks. So thank you very much, Deborah Madison, for the discount on Vegetarian Suppers. A couple of other things that I shared this week that I wanted to entice you with is uh, the first thing was Lori Neverman was on the show last week, helping us with easy choices to get us started on a homesteading path. And one of the things that she talked about during our interview was her cornbread recipe, which I guess her followers absolutely rave about. And I started thinking about that the other night when I was making chili, my dad's chili recipe. And I linked to that in the group. It's Lori Neverman's cornbread recipe And it's got her grandma Irene's secret ingredient in it. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. So you're going to have to go to the Facebook group and check it out. But I know my friend Deb had commented, and she's going to be trying it out this week as well. So I think she's going to try my dad's chili recipe, and she's going to try Lori Neverman's uh, grandma's cornbread recipe, which is apparently to die for. And we love cornbread, so that'll be fantastic. You know, something else that I found that I thought was really cool And it had to do with uh, people that go out and photograph mushrooms. And, you know, initially you might think, well, why am I posting that? You know, that's a real specialized area of horticulture, you know, going out and, and photographing mushrooms. But what was really awesome about this article is that they gave away so many free tips on how to take macro level photography. So check it out if you're interested in the type of lens or little tips and techniques. It's a really great article if you're into photography in your garden. Two listeners posted some really awesome things uh, this week as well. Danny Perkins shared a picture of his swamp sunflower, which was just magnificent, glorious, totally out of control. Love those things. I've got cup Plant here, native cup plant that is going crazy. I've got the native sunflower that's going crazy in my garden. I think it's the year of Asteraceae in the garden because they're everywhere along the roads, uh, what have you. It was a wonderful year for sunflowers. And then Chuck DeGarmo was visiting a college in San Luis Obispo. And they stayed at this adorable b with the cutest courtyard uh, with lots of little wonderful gardening touches. So if you get a chance to join the group this week, you'll see not only the things that I'm posting, but things that other listeners are posting as well. And they're wonderful. This week marks our sixth week of reading Marta McDowell's All the President's Gardens. It's my first still growing book club, and we are on chapter 6, which is called Homefront, and it's covering the time period between the 1910s and the 1940s. So it's one of my favorite chapters in the book, actually. And what I will do this week is share my latest post with questions that you can ask your garden club if you are using this as a activity in your garden club, along with a few videos that you can reference from YouTube that I think are great supplementary material to what you're reading in this particular chapter. Well, today's show is all about the Garden Bloggers Fling, and even if you're not a garden blogger, I think you'll enjoy virtually exploring the gardens that we got to see on the Garden Bloggers Fling. So I went to this event back in the middle of July, and I'll never forget because it was uh, the weekend that my daughter turned 15, as well as the weekend that I myself was in a garden tour. So I was only able to attend part of the Garden Bloggers Fling, but the minute I was done and I thought, oh my gosh, I have got to share all of the wonderful things we did on the Fling with listeners of Still Growing because there were so many really wonderful experiences. And also, if you happen to be a garden blogger and you've searched Garden Bloggers Fling and you've stumbled on this episode, I've done my best to really provide a comprehensive overview of what it's like to attend a Garden Bloggers Fling. So at least what it was like to attend this fling in Minneapolis this year. So the fling was three days. It was completely jam-packed with tours and lots of different activities for the gardeners that had attended. And so this will really give you a sense of what it's like to be in a Garden Bloggers fling, all the different activities and all the different people that attend these types of events. So I broke it into a three-part episode. Each episode will cover one day of the Garden Bloggers fling. And I decided, instead of doing it all by myself, that I would have little roundtables of bloggers that had attended and get their input, this multifaceted viewpoint of what the Garden Bloggers Fling is like. So joining me on today's show is Joanne Shaw, who blogs at Down to Earth from Ontario, Canada. And Beth Stettenfield of PlantPostings.com out of McFarland, Wisconsin, a suburb right outside of Madison, Wisconsin. Bryn Haas of Creative Living and Growing with Bryn at BrynHaas.com out of her garden in Ohio. And then finally, Tammy Schmidt of Casa Mariposa, an organic pollinator gardener out of Northern Virginia. Now, Northern Virginia is right outside of D.C., and that also happens to be the the site of next year's Garden Bloggers Fling, which Tammy is in charge of. Well, welcome, ladies. Hey. Hi. Hey. Hi. Well, I am so excited. We're having our little Garden Blogger Fling reunion here, and we're going to be talking about day one of the Garden Blogger Fling. But before we get started, why don't we have each of you go around and introduce yourselves.
1: I'm Tammy Schmidt. My blog is called Casa Mariposa, and I've been blogging for six years. I'm from California, but I live in Northern Virginia, and um, if you're not familiar with this area, you're like, where's Northern Virginia? Northern Virginia is the area right outside D.C., and it's very different from the rest of Virginia. You know, we kind of joke that Virginia can be broken down into two separate states, NOVA and ROVA. NOVA stands for Northern Virginia, and ROVA stands for the rest of Virginia, Oh. <laughs> um, Everyone, most of the people in Northern Virginia work for the government in some capacity, so that's where I'm at. I'm in Northern Virginia outside of D.C., and my garden is a 7A, and I have been to the Fling three times, um, and a little bit about me, I am married. My husband is retired military, so I've moved all over the country. I've gardened in a lot of different zones. You know, like a lot of people, we moved to this area. He finished his military career, and then he turned right around and went back to work for the government. I have two kids. Um, my daughter is 21, and she's in college, and my son is 24, and he is in the Army. I have four dogs, and they're all shelter rescues. They're all nuts. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> and my garden is an organic pollinator garden. But one of the things I like about my garden is I live in a really boring neighborhood in a really boring house, and I don't really love that part. But, you know, I have an HOA, and my neighbors are about an inch away. I don't have, you know, a big property. I don't have a cool, funky house or anything like that. Every time I go out into my garden, I'm on total display to everybody. And um, I just kind of looked at that and was like, well, all right, so what? I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. And I took out at least 60 to 70% of the turf grass, and I put in this big organic pollinator garden. And um, when you drive past my house, it just looks kind of like a normal, like normal landscaping. And normal to me means boring. I do have a garden in the front. So you'd probably stop and think, well, I think that lady likes to garden. Mm -hmm. But when you come into the back, it's a completely 100% different world, which is nice. That way I can kind of pretend I have privacy in the back instead of just being on display in the front yard.
0: Tell us the name of your blog again and then how you came up with that name.
1: My blog is named Casa Mariposa and I'm from California. I lived up and down the state of California for 17 years. So, you know, growing up, um, you always learn a little bit of Spanish and actually my first major in college before I changed my major into education was Spanish. And, um, When we got to Virginia, I was very impressed by all these drives in the country I would take, and you would see these beautiful houses, and the property had a name. And, you know, Virginia was one of the original 13 colonies, and so I think a lot of this tradition of naming your property, I wonder if maybe it carried over from the English tradition of naming your property. Hmm. And I would drive past these gorgeous, like, manor houses and this country estate, and it would, you know, have some name, fancy-pants acres or whatever. And then I would drive into my neighborhood. It's, you know, a carbon copy of every cookie-cutter suburban neighborhood on the planet. And I would drive up to my boring house, which looks like every other boring house in the neighborhood. And I would think, Wow, what would I name my house if it was some fabulous Virginia country estate? And um, I started calling it Casa Mariposa in my head because I was putting in butterfly gardens. And um, when it came time to name my blog, I thought, well, I named my garden a long time ago. So I will just see if the name Casa Mariposa is available. And it was. So that is how my blog came to be named.
0: Huh. And is Mariposa Spanish for butterfly?
1: It is. Casa is house and Mariposa is butterfly. So it is Spanish for butterfly house.
0: Yes. All right. Awesome. Joanne?
1: Hi there. I'm Joanne Shaw, and I'm from Ontario. My blog is called Down to Earth, as is my business. I'm actually a landscape designer, so my blog was based on me helping my clients with their gardens. And I'm all about uh, practical, down to earth person and down to earth, practical gardening. So I've had the blog for about four years here in Ontario. I'm in zone five b. And this was my second sling, fl- so I'm, I'm lucky enough to attend my first sling, which was actually in Ontario last year, and really enjoyed traveling to my second swing this year, so that was wonderful. And I have a challenging garden in that it's all opposite of Tammy in a way. It is traditional uh, suburban yard, but all of my garden is actually in the front yard. I'm a corner house, which also brings its challenges. And I'm on display, same thing, I step out my door and all my neighbors can see and everybody driving by. But uh, I kind of embrace the fact that I really wanted almost a bit of a display garden. I've brought my clients to my garden to show them what plants look like, you know, from new plants to matured. So yeah, so that's my, uh, my little overview of my garden. And I'm married with two boys, 21 and 18. And like I said, I'm a landscape designer.
0: All right, Beth.
1: Uh, Yes, Uh, this is Beth Stettenfeld. Hi, everyone. Uh, My blog is plantpostings.com, and that's a very simple name. Uh, The reason I chose it is is a very long story, but basically I couldn't believe that nobody had taken that name over the years. I've been blogging for six years in October, and I'm from McFarland, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Madison. Most people are familiar with Madison. Mm -hmm. My zone is a garden, uh, Zone 5A. It's kind of on the edge, though, because Milwaukee is 5B, and some of my friends over in northwestern Madison area are 4B, so it's kind of on a transitional zone there. Um, This is my second time at the Fling, and uh, I want to go as much as possible in the years to come because it's so much fun. About myself, I'm married. I have two 20-something kids, a boy and a girl. I have two senior cats. And I want a dog, but I can't until these cats are are gone, unfortunately, because it would be too traumatic for them to have a dog.
2: Mm.
1: I'm a master naturalist volunteer and an instructor, and I'm still learning. I'm always learning. A little something about my garden. It's a suburban location, kind of like Tammy's. When you look at it from the front, you would know that it's in the suburbs, but from the back, it's an oak woodland and a glacial drumline. So it's kind of on a hill, it's slanted, and it's a little wild back in the backyard. There are a lot of spring ephemerals in like April, May, June, and lots of ferns and lots of shade in the summertime. Um, I have one little sunny mixed ornamental edible garden, and when I need my sun fixed, I run over there and see all the pollinators buzzing around. We inherited this garden, so the bones were designed by the previous owners, and like most gardens, it's still a work in progress. There are certain areas where I've added my touch more than others, but um, the basic phones were designed by someone else. Okay. Bren. Very cool. Hey, this is Bren Haas, and boy, I have been blogging since 2007, um, but very active on online communities since uh, about 1997. I live and I grow in Zone 5B, Ohio, and this was my first garden blogger fling, But I've been watching it online and tweeting about it since the New York Garden Buffalo Tour, which I'm not sure if that was the first or the second. You can find me over at my blog or my website, which is Creative Living and Growing with Bren, and that's at BrenHoss.com. My husband and I... Moved out to the country about 13 years ago. We're growing out here on 18 acres that is surrounded by amazing farmland in Ohio. And we were lucky to find a nice piece of land that had a little mix of every different way you could possibly grow. Um, I have about 11 acres of woods, and the river goes through it. and It's all natural, gardening there, and lots of habitat. I also grow year-round. I've been a conventional greenhouse owner since about 2008. I got a little home garden 10 by 13 greenhouse, and uh, basically that was the winter my plants over that, you know, around where I live in Northwest Ohio, we don't get as many of the new plants as some of the bigger cities do, so I loved taking my annuals and just kind of hiding them in there over the winter, right? And I just love growing year-round, so we ended up adding fish in the greenhouse and Last October, um, some friends that I met online came out to Ohio and we built a 20 foot geodesic biodome. So I'm really excited. I'm now growing totally different edibles, organic, year round. It's very exciting. And so let's see, um, uh, my family, well, I was a little teary yesterday because my oldest turned 21. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that, uh, you know, it's exciting, but it's still kind of sad. I'm sure you moms can relate, right? And uh, and, um, it's been so much fun raising both my kids out here in the country. They love nature and wildlife from being so involved with just being out in it, right? And um, my youngest son is 19, and he's in college. And my husband and I are having fun doing things, rediscovering each other again, right? So, um, yeah, that's me.
0: (laughs) Uh, Bryn, you have to tell us more about this biodome for people who aren't familiar.
1: <laughs> oh, a biodome is its super cool. It's a geodesic biodome. It's uh, 20 feet, right? So it's on a knee wall. So it's kind of like the Taj Mahal of a greenhouse, I think, because you can stand in the middle of it and you still have about 13 to 14 feet, which is awesome because now you can hang vertical gardening in there and... Just the technology behind this allows you to grow fairly cheap. I mean, you could basically grow with passive heat without, you know, introducing extra cost with heaters and things year-round, even in Ohio. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with – well, I know Jennifer is. (laughs) We get a lot of snow, and it gets pretty cold here, and it can be depressing. Yeah. So it's just just a wonderful thing to walk out there. We put it way out in the meadow. So, I have a nice little walk through the woods to get out to the dome, and it's fun to track through the snow and look at the bunny tracks and all that. And then open the door, and you're in, and it's like Florida spring, you know, in the middle of January, right? So, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. And nothing beats harvesting your own food that you grew, right? So, yeah, that's it.
0: It's exciting. Wow. Well, I nominate Ohio for the, what, 2018 (laughs) uh, Garden Bloggers Fling just so we can see this thing. It sounds fantastic.
1: That would be great.
0: Okay, ladies. Well, let's kick it off. We all uh, descended on Minneapolis about two weeks ago for the 8th Annual Garden Bloggers Fling, which was started by Pam Pinnock in Austin about eight years ago. And the very first night when people were starting to roll into town, we had a reception to go to at the Minneapolis Central Library, which is located at 300 Nicollet Avenue in downtown Minneapolis. It's a beautiful facility with a gorgeous atrium. And I was trying to remember, were we on the second or the fourth floor? I can't even remember now. I think it was the
1: second. Yeah, that was what I was thinking, too. It was a
0: lovely, lovely spot Mm -hmm. with really wonderful accommodations. So if you're in the Twin Cities and looking for a neat place to meet, consider the Minneapolis Central Library. Let's chat a little bit about getting together, especially for those of you, well, actually for all of you. We had some first-time flingers, but we also had some people who had been to a fling before. What was the reception like getting back in touch with uh, the garden bloggers that you'd met from previous flings?
1: So, well, this is Joanne speaking. So I think for me, the neatest thing was we hadn't seen each other. I mean, this was my only second time, but I was amazed at walking in the room and seeing the familiar faces and that even though you hadn't seen everyone in a year, everybody remembered everybody and the support from following each other
0: online was wonderful. It was really felt like a family reunion to me. And Bryn, this was your first fling, wasn't it?
1: Yes, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. So it was neat seeing other garden bloggers that I've met at other events, but then it also was a really crazy experience having um, a lot of the bloggers come up to me. And some people don't put as much out there as I do. So it was a little awkward when a couple of people would come up and they're like, oh, Brent, how's your cat and everything? And I couldn't place who they were. But it was awesome getting to know them and share with them a little bit about social media and things like that. And Minnesota is just beautiful. That library was amazing and a beautiful walk, short walk. Or was it a long walk? I was just so busy talking to everybody, right? <laughs> it was like around the corner. Like it was. Oh, yeah. okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was it a long walk or short walk? Well, you know what? You guys were staying at the Lowe's Hotel downtown across from the Target Center, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is best. The, the fun thing about meeting up again after not seeing people for a while is that you feel like you are starting, you know, right where you left off.
0: Because mm-hmm. most yeah. people
1: have the same values. We have the same hobbies. We all love gardening and plants, so it's such a pleasant experience to see everybody again.
0: You know, I always think that gardening is kind of a way to vet someone because you already know if you're talking to a gardener that they're very nurturing and that they're optimistic. And so I always feel like when you meet someone who's as passionate about gardening as you are, it's almost like you've got an immediate springboard to creating a great friendship. And so, you know, for me, it was my very first time and they did a really nice thing. They had a star for everyone who was a first time flinger so that other people could recognize that it was their first fling. And for me, you know, it's a little intimidating. You're walking into a room, there are about 60 garden bloggers that are there and you you don't have an idea of who's who. And so it's interesting to be able to put a face with a name, but also talk to people that are so passionate about the same thing that you're passionate about, which is gardening and blogging.
1: Well, this is Tammy. I will say I was a little tired at the introductory activity that we had at the library. I'd only been back in the States for 48 hours. I'd been traveling to see a friend in London, and I saw a picture of myself on Facebook, and I was like, I don't remember having my picture taken. I was just too tired. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> The thing about the first night's activity is you come together and you realize that all of these people are just like me. All of these people love something as much as I do. And the thing about gardening is that you do definitely become passionate about it. And it's hard and it's frustrating to be passionate in isolation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the people you Mm -hmm. live with are sick of hearing about your shrubs. They're Mm -hmm. sick of hearing about your flowers. They... Don't really understand what you're talking about. They don't understand why you're googling something at three in the morning because you couldn't sleep. And you go to a fling, and you're like, "Oh, I knew there were other people like me out there <laughs> somewhere. And now I'm in a room full of them. <laughs> good way, yeah, to <laughs> yeah, really good way."
0: That's perfect. Now, one thing, one tip we can share with folks is if you ever go to something like this, you've got to bring business cards, right? How many of you gals brought mm-hmm. business cards and were swapping those fast and furious throughout the week? Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. Well, I, definitely a
0: necessity. Necessity.
1: I have business cards. <laughs> I left them at home because I I just <laughs> forgot to pack them. <laughs> My first sling when people were passing out business cards, I was like, wow, you guys have business cards? That's legit. Um, I was like, but I'll write my name on your napkin. Um, And then I came home and I needed to make business cards for something else I was doing. And so I should have packed business cards to take with me to Minneapolis. It is a good idea to bring them if you have them. Well, luckily everybody has a cell phone. And I i know I took a photo of your name tag. So, okay. Yeah. That's a really good idea. <laughs> oh, too. that's a great idea.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because when you're blogging, you really do kind of identify more with the blog, I think, than the blogger mm-hmm. until you go to an event like this. And all of a sudden it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is Joanne's blog. And I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the most important things about getting to actually have a face-to-face connection with these other bloggers. Definitely, definitely. All right, gals. So first up, day one of the Garden Bloggers Fling was the Eloise Butler Wildflower Garden, which happens to be the oldest native plant garden in the United States. Given the interest in native plants, it was a fitting way to start the Fling.
1: Oh, wasn't that a treat? Yeah, this is Beth again. I'd heard about and read about this gem, and I was thrilled to visit it during the fling. It's wonderful to see native plants in a natural setting like that and to get a sense of how to incorporate them into our own gardens. I just loved seeing them all over. Felt so at home there. This is Tammy. One of the things I really liked about that garden was how un it did not look. You know, a lot of times people think that a garden is a cottage garden it has a little boxwood edge and, you know, it's formal and it has a little path and it has to have a bird bath, and it has to have this, you know, people have a lot of preconceived ideas about what a garden should be. And that place was wild and it was beautiful and it was lush. It's like we just happened to stumble across this amazing wildflower garden. I mean, I didn't walk through it and think, this was created by man. To me, it felt like it was just created by nature and we happened mm-hmm. to be lucky enough to find it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I thought that yeah. was really incredible. Well, I don't know about you guys, but it made me feel a whole lot better about my garden looking at all the plants that I think of as being weeds. They're <laughs> really not weeds. Uh, and if you think mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it was like, wow, you know what, because it's been a busy summer, I'm sure, for everyone, and it's just been so dry in Ohio and hot, and I'm kind of behind on my weeding, right? You know, just to walk through that garden, it was awesome because it was like, it had a little bit of everything, didn't it? I mean, it had shade, it had a boardwalk, meadow. It was just, it was perfect. It was beautiful. Joanne speaking, I, I just love the fact, I thought, there was so much to see, and I love the fact that it was actually a guided tour, and we had tour guides to really tell us what we were seeing, what areas we were seeing, and point out some things, because I think there was so much to see that you really didn't know how to, like, where to look. Um, so, I thought it was uh, really useful to have the tour guides with us and be able to point out. So, it's great that an organization like that is hired. I think they were paid. I don't think they were volunteers who were guides, but... Uh, you know, really knowledgeable staff to really help help visitors with the gardens and uh, appreciate them even more. So I think that uh, is a real big shout-out to the Wildflower Garden. Yeah, this is Beth again. Um, We did talk about the fact that um, the folks there are paid, so that's cool that they actually have paid naturalists at the Wildflower Mm -hmm. Garden. And another cool thing about it was that you could see what types of plants and what types of settings would attract different types of wildlife, so that was kind of cool, too. I guess it's a bird sanctuary as well.
0: It is a bird sanctuary, and uh, I think they do have naturalists that will give the bird tours through there, so we didn't get a chance to do that. You know, when you're touring gardens on this fling, we have, what, about 20 minutes, maybe a half hour, (laughs) if that, although I did comment, you know, how hard it is to get 60 people on and off, two motor coaches, and still see these magnificent gardens. This garden in particular, is it Carolyn Homer? Is that how you say her name, guys? Does anybody know? I did see these pictures from Carolyn, and she's got this great picture, and it's this vast prairie land, you know, with all of the flowers and the wildflowers and all of the natives, and then there's just this long line of garden bloggers as they're making their way, I'm assuming, on the boardwalk, (laughs) so it's a great, great shot, but this garden in particular, I think, is special just because of the emphasis going back to natives and that, you know, wild and woolly gardens, there's nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. So let's talk next about the next stop, which is Donna Hamilton's studio garden. Now, Donna is a designer. And when I was looking her up last night, if you guys haven't had a chance to check out some of her work, you might actually recognize it. She makes Santas and snowmen and angels that have a very distinctive Donna Hamilton look. So if you've ever been in a Christmas store somewhere buying maybe a little angel or something ornamental, to display in your home, it very well might be something that Donna Hamilton created. They're very, very charming, and her studio happens to be surrounded by a garden, which is why the garden bloggers stopped by. So this was the second stop on the tour. Joanne, you want to take it away?
1: Sure. I think the word quaint and colorful kind of sums up this garden for me. It was really nice size. I know we didn't know what else we were going to see in the future, but a lot of those future gardens we're going to talk about were very large, and this one was really a nice size and so colorful and really a great use of color, vertical use of the garden as well. I really enjoyed how much it was so inviting and a little bit of a contrast to all the green we saw in the wildflower garden, but for me, what stood out was actually the front yard and the frontscaping that they had done also in the front yard, which I thought was really impressive. I guess, what would you call it, like a storefront. And so I think that is really impactful to have the storefront from the sidewalk to the curb really streetscape so well. So that is what really stood out for me. Yeah, that health strip. This is Beth again. Um, actually, I wasn't familiar with the term health strip until I started blogging, but basically that's the little area between the street and the sidewalk. Yeah. And Donna had an amazing little health strip there where she planted all these low growing perennials, and it looked like they bloomed at different times during the growing Mm -hmm. season. So Mm -hmm. it was very artfully and creatively put together, and I almost missed it because there were so many people when we got there, but on the way back, I was able to study it a little bit more, and um, that was really, really very creative. This is Tammy, and yeah, I was going to make the same comment that the garden and the studio were incredibly cute. They were very picturesque, but I really loved the health strips. So, yeah. And, I, you know, I was a little bit jealous because my health strip is actually owned by the county I live in, so I'm not allowed to really do any gardening there at all. So whenever I see someone who owns their health strip and gets to rip out all the dead grass and put in plants, I'm always a little jealous. I thought hers <laughs> was um really well done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, this is Bren, and it was cool. I kind of got lost in it. She had some great pollinator plants in there, and the bees were just going crazy, so it was neat to see that. And then when you get to the back of where the big garden is, just beautiful. She had a great collection of annuals and vegetables and perennials and even trees. And I actually got a second to speak with Donna, and I found it really cool that she really didn't know the names of the plants. (laughs) She just grew them because she loved them and thought they were beautiful, and that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The one thing in the health trip that I'm just looking at some of my pictures as well was she had two kind of rectangular patches of irises that were packed Tight, 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 tight. So when you stood back, they were no longer blooming, but when you stood back, it looked like grass, like obviously thick blades, but it really was so impactful, and I can only imagine what it would look like when it was in bloom. Oh, yeah, that that was good. Yeah, Yeah, she did a really great job. You could see the succession of blooms at different times of the year. So really great thinking, especially for something at the front, on that health strip, as uh, Beth called it. Yeah, I, this is Tammy. I wanted to make the same observation that the um, iris foliage did look like grass. And it made you mm-hmm. kind of stop and think, man, look at that big, big grass. And then mm-hmm. you're like, "Hey, okay, that's an iris. And that mm-hmm. was a really smart plant to use because iris need to be really well-drained. They don't want to be, you know, wet and foggy and moist. So what a perfect plant to stick into a health strip.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's a
0: great idea. You know, a couple of things that if people do see the pictures of this particular location, and there's a great post on it, by the way, that was written by Helen Battersby at her Toronto Gardens website. This garden, uh, we referred to it as Hearts and Ivy because that's the name of Donna's studio. And three of the things that I thought were really amazing here first was the use of architectural pieces. So it seems like all the garden bloggers loved the little metal gate or, you know, fence Mm-hmm. That was installed right, I think, in the hell strip right there. So as a yeah. way to yeah. kind of welcome. The front of the studio itself is very artistic. So the lettering on the front of the studio is really creative. And then the actual sign for the Hearts and Ivy studio. I thought it was a great Sweet little way to kind of personalize what's going on at that location. So, for people who are always looking for creative ideas about how to incorporate signage into their landscaping, I thought Donna did an excellent job here.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think it was a great way. I'm looking at the sign too in my pictures, Jennifer. And I think it was a great way for her to claim the health trip too, not only to find the business, but just to know that that was kind of part of it.
0: What was that like in person? Was it just her fantastic uh, little spot there and then just kind of a barren, normal street? Or was it, I mean, was she like just this obvious pop of color there? Or what did her neighbors look like?
1: I think hers was more dramatic. This is Beth again. But I'm looking at some of my pictures, and it looks like some of the neighbors, maybe from her example, have added um, some pretty flowers Mm -hmm. at the curbside as well. Yeah. Yeah, and her next-door neighbor, the home was very eclectic. I think they they really did something unique, and they kept the facade of the uh, building, the storefront-type building facade, but then actually incorporated, like, a glass fence behind it and then built a house. Set back from the road so you couldn't really see the house I know people were kind of trying to peek through ah. but uh, they also had extended the health trip in front of their home and then in front of the facade as well. you know it really helped identify the space the differences between the two but yet it tied it all together at the same time. so uh, so yeah it was really it's a unique picture.
0: Well, the next stop on our tour that day was Lindale Park Gardens. And this particular garden is part of Lindale Park, which for Twin Cities residents, they'll recognize that's located on the northeast side of Lake Harriet. And this park features a number of wonderful gardens. And the first is a rose garden. There's a peace garden. There is an annual perennial border There is a perennial trial garden, and then last but not least, there's butterfly and hummingbird gardens. And also last night when I was looking online, it has a fantastic Facebook page. So go out there and like the Lindale Park Gardens Facebook page, and you'll love getting those images on your feed. But Brynn, why don't you make some comments here about this great location?
1: Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. Funny enough, just getting off the bus, I noticed a staff member kind of greeting everybody, and I pulled him aside, and he ended up being the young gentleman in charge of putting the theme together this year, Andrew, so I spent a lot of my time Ah. live-streaming him, (laughs) which he was such a trooper just to share his experience with over the past few years working at this particular garden, and so that was fun to have him just point out the different colors that they used and the different heights, and he introduced Um, some new structures this year. If you notice in the photographs, they did a lot with just natural twigs. And he took some old grapevine and just wrapped it around some twigs they had around to make this really pretty structure for a nasturtium to climb up. And then he also had a beautiful little hut. And I I forget the formal name for that. Do you girls remember that? The cute little, uh, what is it? it looks like a beehive. Exactly. It looks just like a beehive. But that was really cool. So that, that was made by a local artist, actually. And so it was really cool to hear his story, how he went out you know, got connected with her and they put this cool structure together. And it's actually going to go in a play area there at the park, I believe. But I thought that was cool that the the community is definitely involved with this park. Which is, it's a really good thing to see. They're a great example for everyone. In fact, you know, they won awards actually for being the best park systems in the United States, I believe. So. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Are you surprised? It's beautiful, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, anybody
0: who knows the Twin Cities, that is such a wonderful mm-hmm. part of Minneapolis. I mean, Lake yeah. Harriet, the chain of lakes actually really draws people. But this is one of the really only public gardens that are around the lake area. They're so developed now. So it's great that they've kind of designated this spot as a place for gardens. I have to
1: say that as soon as I stepped off the bus, I made a beeline for the Peace Garden. So, I know there was lots of perennials and lots of color to our right, but I kind of have an affinity for Weeping Evergreens and Japanese gardens, and so I headed that way. I know there weren't too many people that went in my direction, so I can definitely speak to... Because, we, again, we were a little short of time, but uh, it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful spot to meander. Like, it was just on a larger scale than you picture Japanese gardens. They tend to be, you know, a little bit smaller scale. So this was definitely you could see why it was called a peace garden, and it was very mature. The the mature weeping white spruce were there, lots of uh, weeping white pines, rock layouts as well in the garden, and um, paths you know with stone pea gravel kind of between. And you could just really they did a great job of making changing elevations and uh, changing the views of the garden. It was very well done. I thoroughly enjoyed it. That's so interesting that you say that, Joanne. This is Beth again. I kind of went toward the sun, and Mm -hmm. I started to notice so many pollinators in this garden. I mean, they were all over the place. And it was a combination of annuals and perennials, very Mm artfully combined with the right height. And the pollinators were just going crazy over all the different plants they had, from purple coneflowers to anastisps. And then they had, um, do you guys pronounce it cleome or cleomes? Claire had amazing tall cleome's. Oh, they were just incredible. This is Tammy. When I got into the park, of course, I went straight for the perennials. But then I ended up kind of migrating over by that cool little structure that looked like a beehive. And I was really paying close attention to their combinations of annuals, so that I could steal all their ideas and stick them in my
2: <laughs>
1: garden. I really like, you know, how they'll put together plants that you hadn't really thought of. And I'm a real yeah. sucker for rudbeckia. It's one of my favorites. Summer annuals, the Rudbeckia Herda. So I like to see what they had it combined with. So yeah, it was a really pretty park. It hey was, Tammy, mm-hmm. this is Bren. Did you see the basil and the peppers down in there by the walkway at that structure? It was pretty cool, wasn't it? Sure, I saw it. <laughs> I I'm a it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. Sure. I know I saw it. You know, are they the little ornamental peppers? Like, yes, like, yeah, they, they totally could be mistaken for just being a flower because the color is just so pretty, like purple and orange. And yeah, I have yeah. seen those. Yeah. I have seen those. Those are really cute. I really like those. Yeah. You are a vegetable girl, Brand. It was always <laughs> amazing how you find it. Like before anybody else, you would find the vegetables <laughs> in the Barbie <garden> right away. <laughs> those are tasty, too. They're just really yeah. hot. Really hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they had beautiful rose gardens, too, and I didn't have a chance to really look at them that closely, but I do want to go back and see the roses.
0: Now that Bren has challenged us to know what the name of that structure is, it's driving me crazy, and I can't find anything oh, about it online. It.
1: On the website, it just says Natural Playhouse Willow Thicket. A
0: thicket. Oh, mm. and isn't that a fantastic website named cheerup.com? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the next garden was a real treat because it was the private garden of the author of the new book, Pollinator-Friendly Gardening, Rhonda Fleming Hayes. Garden blogger Pam Pennick wrote a lovely post about this private garden and her core 10 steel edging which was used throughout the garden. Now core 10 steel is a beautiful material and people love it because it looks so warm and weathered and also industrial. It's very rusted and coppery and I think this edging looks better when it's at least a quarter inch thickness like it is in Rhonda's garden because anything thinner and it makes it warp and the edge won't appear clean and straight, which is its best attribute, and Rhonda did a great job of using it to help make order in her garden. Beth, do you want to start us out? Sure. Um, yeah, I need to get a copy of
1: Rhonda's book, seriously. I mean, that looks like an excellent book, um, and I didn't know much about that Corten product until visiting the garden and then reading Pam's post, but um, it does seem like an excellent material for, especially for like a potager garden or um, a garden that combines different types of plants. And also the way that Rhonda used that willow edging to keep out the rabbits, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. The, pond, the pond was really neat, too, at this house. I think. This is um Tammy. And I had never seen the Corten steel until someone said, Oh, hey, there's Corten steel. And I'm like, what am I looking at? That was one of my favorite gardens on the plane. And, you know, sometimes you walk up to a garden and you think, Oh, this garden's pretty, but you feel like you've seen it before. I walked up to that garden, and I was like, this garden is so cool, and they have these big rectangular, you know, raised beds, and those were the ones made out of a steel, and then they had those, yeah, the cute, like, willow fence above it, and it just was so lush, and it was so full, and she had allowed some of her herbs to go to seed. Like, her dill had all gone to seed. Her cilantro had all gone to seed. And it was absolutely beautiful and they were covered with pollinators and the cilantro was just cascading. It almost reminded me of baby's breath, cascading over the top of this beautiful willow edging and it was very soft. And so, you know, everything in my garden is like very soft and curvy. And this garden actually was very angular. And then to soften these hard rectangular edges, she had just the most beautiful plants cascading everywhere, all Mm -hmm. over these beds, and it was gorgeous. I could have stayed in that garden, like, Mm -hmm. all day. She would have been dragging Mm -hmm. me out by my foot, but um, (laughs) it just was absolutely beautiful, and I thought that the juxtaposition of the soft against the hard, the, you know, not worrying about if your plants have bolted just letting the seed heads go and um, just kind of working with the natural process of what happens to a plant, I thought was incredible. I thought that garden was just stunning. She did a really nice job, too, of showing the flow of things, like pots of salvias flowing into a waterfall and then flowing into a pond with water lilies. It It was just so wonderful and creative. She did also did a great job with levels. I mean, I don't know if anybody caught, I know the side was with, with the courts and field beds were gorgeous, but I don't know if you caught the front steps coming off of the porch, or I'm sorry, off of the sidewalk. You know, she did a great job of creating just a feature right from the sidewalk with these beautiful steps surrounded by these two stone walls and gardens on either side, and her whole front yard was so soft so gently, and then You know, you had that nice level change at those steps and then you went around to the side and she leveled it again up into her little potting area with the water fountain and, you know, the gradual steps up. So she did a really great job of combining the the hard and the soft as well as the levels, I think. She really just did a really wonderful job. I loved it as well. I really loved it. I miss the edging. This is Bren. I was sucked into that veggie garden. It was beautiful. Just it was <laughs> right along her driveway. Yeah, great yes. bed garden. I've been stalking Rhonda online for quite a few years. <laughs> actually, I've I met her a few times at garden events and her speaking gigs and whatnot. The Pollinator Friendly Gardening book is her book, and her her veggie garden was everything I imagined and I just the vegetables were just perfect, and she grows everything organic, and just to kind of move the cabbage aside and reach down into that soil, it was beautiful. She did a great job, and the height with just the, the trellising for the beans, and she had a little bit, I, just, I love Minnesota. You can grow, she still had cool hardy plants growing in there perfectly, mm-hmm. where, you know, here in Ohio, we've had so much heat, they somewhat fizzled out, right? Yeah. Um, but just amazing beautiful garden. So and one thing, you know, I'm I'm glad I was among fellow bloggers because you know, everybody is gonna share all these amazing things that they saw that we may have missed. You can always count on Mm -hmm. yeah, to go back and look. And of course I'm always the last one on the bus because I'm running through really quick just taking I call it spraying, you know, I'm just taking photos of everything just to look at it later. So I'll have to look back at my pictures for that. Uh, Egene, I missed it.
0: Well, and Rhonda did something really neat with her water feature that I think is so nice, and that is that you could walk around the entire water feature. So many times when people put a water feature in, they kind of jam it up, you know, against one side of of something and can't access all sides of this. But this really was part of her patio. So mm-hmm. instead of just having a plain, boring bluestone patio, she had this water feature that was pouring into this basin, and of course, what's around it—the Corten steel. So she's echoing all of those elements so nicely. And then I think because it was flowing, it just added that movement and energy into an area that would have just been a plain old patio. So when I look mm-hmm. at the pictures, it just seems like: Are you living in a house that has a garden, or are you living in a garden that is that happens to you know have a house in it that you can be part of? Because mm-hmm. it really felt. Like the garden was first and foremost there, and then of course she's got adorable little cafe lights that are strung from across the breezeway there. How many houses even have that? It was just a spectacular way to highlight that unique feature of her house. Oh, and how yeah. about
1: that? um this is Brian and I didn't get the patio. I did pay attention to that beautiful potting, I think she called it like a potting room or the potting shed. That was Mm -hmm. adorable with the sink, and I guess she built the house with that. This was just adorable, and the antique furniture she had in there, and just the pots,
0: and it was just, it was so pretty. So
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) neat. It was. It was. It really was.
0: (laughs) Well, next up on the tour was a stop at Bachman's, and Bachman's is so beloved in Minneapolis-St. Paul because it really is the flagship nursery that is here in town and is known for their high quality and their commitment to the community. They sponsor a number of different events throughout the year including the Macy's Flower Show among many other things. One of the things that I wish you gals could have seen was the Bachman's Idea House because it's a house that's right on the property and they literally gut this thing I think 3 times a year and then go in and paint and design and give people, you know, millions of ideas about how to decorate their homes and incorporate blooms and different things like that. So it's a wonderful thing about this particular place that we were at off of Lindale Avenue, the mothership that's in Richfield, and they hosted a lovely lunch for us. So it was our place to kind of take a break from touring, but also we got a behind-the-scenes look at how Bachman's makes it all happen. So we were kind of down in the shipping area and in the creative area. They had some places where ladies were putting arrangements together, and we got to see their fleet of vehicles, and so it was pretty exciting. Tammy, do you want to talk a little bit about the Bachman's? Yeah, on our sure. Turn? One
1: of the things that I will say that I think is important when you go to a garden blogger fling is that the host of the fling is showing you their city. And I think it's important that you have a chance to go in and support local businesses. And, you know, the gardeners always want to go to a nursery in another city and see what they have and see what's for sale and see how they do it. So if you have a chance to go to a local nursery and to hear what makes them special, I think that's a pretty cool event. I just wanted to shop. Did you see the plants <laughs> and, and what? I've been to a lot of garden centers, which I'm sure you guys have as well. But just the selection and the plants looked outstanding. I mean, everything was pretty much deadheaded and cleaned up. So that's, that's a tough job,
2: and mm-hmm. they got it
1: going on. The varieties were amazing. The pottery selection, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, so many yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. So I literally got lost out there. I, yeah. That's the tour downstairs because I was out looking at flowers. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> there were so many neat them. garden things to, you know yeah. to purchase, and I wished I'd had more time to actually shop. But and mm-hmm. I was trying to think of ways I could pack them into my suitcase, <laughs> but I couldn't think of how to do that. So pots were everywhere, and they were beautiful, empty as well. Their selection of them was wonderful, but then they had a lot of them potted up with mixtures of annuals and perennials and tropicals. And then they had a specific area called the I'm reading the sign from my photo potting bench, your outdoor container creativity zone. <laughs> and I thought it was wonderful that they gave the recipe of all the plants that they put in there. So I thought that was wonderful tip, tip for people that might not be as plant geeky as we are love the container, take it home and then know next year if they wanted to try and reproduce it, all the plants that go into it, right? And, yeah, that was been, you know, a lot of times, you know, most people will put like one, two, three, maybe three plants in a container, but they had them jam-packed with height and texture and color and all of them very unique. And the tags with the recipes on them were nice and clear. It was a really nice selling feature. So I thought they did a really great job at displaying those pots as well as inspiring people with all the plants that they put in their containers. So I loved it.
0: Well, one of the things I think that's nice about being a resident in the host city of the Fling is that you can take a little more time. And you also know that the places to go when you're at these big nurseries. Again, we were just short on time, but they have actually a little jewelry area in the store And they feature local artisans. So I was trying to direct a lot of the flingers that way because I thought if you wanted to get a cute, cool little necklace that had uh, something Minnesota on it, it was a great place to go for that. I know one of the artisans that's there, uh, one of my favorite pieces is they take little sections of Minneapolis old maps and then they put it inside some type of magnifying glass. And then that's the necklace. So I thought it would be a cute little souvenir for your time in Minneapolis. Bachman's is near and dear to my heart because they have a location in Plymouth, which is near my house. And when you are trying to get through a Minnesota winter and you're feeling a little down, I jump in the car and I go to Bachman's and I walk through the nursery wow. and and get ideas and just get rejuvenated. Especially if I'm feeling low energy, just time in a nursery, especially in the winter is so therapeutic, mm-hmm. so good. So
1: well Wasn't it oh, neat good to hear the story of how the business started? It was so cool to hear that. I think they started in like groceries or something. Is that right? Or some other business and they ended up doing flower vegetables. Oh, I think vegetables. Yeah. they started vegetables. Vegetables. Cool.
2: Yeah. That
1: was so cool. How interesting because somebody came yeah. up with the idea, well, we can, we can add plants to our our lineup, and they ended up being more of a plant company than anything else. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes.
0: They talked about how they had started with selling vegetables and they put vegetables on the trains to go back east because this particular Bachman's location is in a suburb called Richfield, which I didn't know until Karen was telling about it, Karen Bachman Thule. And she was saying that it was called Richfield because of the rich field land.
1: So they started
0: growing. Yeah, they started growing vegetables the Bachman family had settled here and they knew that they could start growing vegetables and shipping them out east to sell. And they were so smart about how they did it because they would actually send one of the Bachman kids uh, to accompany that shipment by rail out east to make sure it got there okay, which if anybody has uh, tried to sell plants, you know how much care and attention they need and they were proud of what they were doing. So they were shipping them back. And then each one of the Bachman children got a parcel of land. They could do whatever they wanted with it. And one of the sons decided he was going to grow cut flowers, and everybody in the family thought he was insane. And <laughs> the cut flower piece <laughs> is what took off. And that's, I think, how most people in the Twin Cities associate Bachman's with sending someone flowers. It's something. You need to send flowers, and you live in Minnesota, you're probably going to use Bachman's to send mm-hmm. flowers at some point. And up here, my son works at the Lunds and Byerly's in town, and that's one of the higher end grocery stores. And all of those... Those locations has a Bachman's right inside of them, so you can get your groceries wow. and yeah, and then your plant material from Bachman. So great, it's a great store. And you know the other thing they do yeah. that they're known for here is growing poinsettias. That's a huge part of their business is mm. propagating and growing poinsettias. So
1: I really love too, this is Bren. I love how if you go to their website. Bachman's.com. And if you're on social media, their accounts come up right away. And They've got a Twitter account, which is Brilliant Shop Bachman's, right? Yes. <laughs> it's nice to see a garden center connecting like that. So that's cool.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, and they, they were, the were very responsive
1: actually, because I think I got mm-hmm. on the bus and tweeted them famously for the visit and they responded right away. So yeah. So it's one thing for people to have social media; it's another thing for them to actually stay on top of it, right? As we all know. Amen. Yes. Uh, You're right. Boston <laughs> <laughs> did a great job at responding right away. So, uh, so yeah, and I loved that the history—you know, just that it's the fifth generation now—and um, I thought that was wonderful. I'm so glad that we did get to see a, another piece of your great city. Uh, Jennifer.
0: Yeah I'm so glad it was part of it too because they do so much to support gardening in this community so it was great that they were part of it. It didn't surprise me at all. The next stop was Latham Park and I was confused because looking back honestly I was like we went to a park afterwards and I couldn't remember and then you guys reminded me that it is a residence but all their neighbors apparently refer to this property as a park and it is that gorgeous. It could be a park but it is somebody's backyard the Latham family and is there anyone who can comment about this fantastic garden.
1: This is Tammy. I'll start. I just love it when someone looks at their backyard and, you know, they just decide to throw the playbook out the windows and they just do whatever they want. You know, the couple who lived there was very passionate and they were very eager to talk about their plants. And, you know, they had, instead of saying, well, I have X amount of space, I guess I'll put a couple shrubs here and a couple flowers here they just really went at it with gusto. They had a beautiful pond, and they had an espaliered apple tree. You know, they just were kind of like, well, you know, we have a couple extra inches here. Let's stick a plant in it, which I really have to admire their enthusiasm, but it was very pretty, and they had a nice lawn in the middle, which kind of gave you a break from all of the plantings, and it gave you a place to walk, and they were just very excited about it. And so... You didn't feel like you were going into a garden that was created to make the house look better. Mm-hmm. You could tell you were going into someone's personal garden. This was their personal space, and it was very meaningful to them, and they were sharing it with us because they were excited to share it with us. And, yeah. Uh, that, to me, is what makes a garden a garden as opposed to a landscape that happens to have some flowers, Stuck in it. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, to me, it was very different, and yeah. um, I just love that the gardeners, who were the owners of the house, were out there just gushing over all their plants. You know, that was really fun. Oh, I was just going to say that um, they were so welcoming, and even at the end when they were saying goodbye, she was still telling us about, you know, plants and plans and things that she had done in the past and how she loved to have people at her garden. She was just so enthusiastic. And also another thing I noticed was she had little details as well as like the grand design. She had this little turtle that she'd made out of rocks that was right by the pond. It was just so cute. I mean, who would think to do that? But I think I might have to borrow that idea in some way or another. <laughs> I wanted to say that it also showed the length of time that they'd been gardening as well. They weren't just buying plants. A lot of the plants, they had actually grown from seed. So I don't know if anybody remembers the two pine trees that were, you know, an odd shape that flanked the path that led you to the espalier fence. So they certainly had a beautiful fence. It wasn't just one tree that espaliered. They did the whole side yard against the fence of apples. And um, the pathway was flanked by these two, you know, kind of mounding, odd-shaped pine trees. And I waited patiently to speak with her. And they were pine trees that they had started as seeds. Oh, wow. and grown themselves so yeah and her husband is able to prune them hard and i think she even said he burned the tip so he kept it much smaller and she oh wow it. that's why it looks so unique because she pointed to the yard behind them that they had also given the neighbor a white pine and that white pine was the one you would normally traditionally see they really artistically and lovingly maintained them to be the size they wanted them to be and to- to be the feature they wanted them to be, and I thought that was really, really unique. That takes dedication to grow a tree. You know, I'm pretty impatient just buying a potted tree, right? (laughs) Uh, It it took uh, a lot of dedication, and I know she was speaking about even some of the water lilies that she had, and I'm not super up on my um, uh, water lilies, but while I was waiting to talk to her about the tree, she was talking to other people about her collection of water lilies, and same thing. A lot of them were, you know, grown from seed and... uh, really unique ones that they had gotten in their travels. They weren't just your average gardener. They were really, they went all in. So it was beautiful. And this was the garden with the gazebo and the pond, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So do you remember the pine trees that to the left of the gazebo? I see them here in my pictures now. Yeah. I didn't realize they were grown from seed. Yeah. I just could not believe the shape. I thought they were just some unique kind of cultivar, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of surprising so that they were able to maintain that size and that shape. Very
0: cool. Beautiful. This is a classic split-level home in Edina. And one thing I thought they did really well was the back side of their house, I think it was the kitchen, was off of the deck. And their decking for the railing, they did a top rail and a bottom rail. And then in between there, it was basically clear glass, which for any of us who have really labored to have a beautiful backyard, the last thing you want to do when you look outside your window is pretty much see railing and not the garden. So they had Mm -hmm. a very unobstructed view from inside the house, thanks to that clever railing that they put in and it was really pretty too so I think they accomplished a couple of things with that the other thing that I got a kick out of in this garden and it reminded me how much I miss them are the cannas that were the backdrop Mm -hmm. to this pond and I don't Mm -hmm. grow them anymore I oh gosh it was so bad we had a Minnesota winter that came early and I didn't dig them up and you know how you just kind of get to the end and you're like eh, Mm -hmm. letting them go now I wish I had them they were they were beautiful Mm. Well, the next garden that we went to was another public space and it was the Nornberg Memorial Gardens and the setting was the former Lake Minnetonka estate of Fred Nornberg. and it was donated to the Three Rivers Park District which is the huge park district for basically all of Minneapolis and it's a very wide area so this is just one of the many properties that that park district manages and this park happened to be the responsibility of the park supervisor, Arla Carmichael, and we actually got to go to her husband's nursery as well as their home. So we were really wrapping up the day here between Nornberg Gardens, the Kelly and Kelly nursery, and then Arla, and her husband's home. So let's kick it off with Nornberg Gardens and what our impressions were of that location.
1: Well, I have to say it was a large space, and again, we had limited time, so it was hard to cover everything. Sorry, it's Joanne speaking. Um, so I kind of concentrated in a few areas, but I don't know if everyone saw the, that it was like a large kind of kidney-shaped, not even kidney-shaped, this swath of garden that was between the more formal area and the lake and uh, I was just mesmerized by just the grand size of that garden and the thing that screamed out to me was foliage, foliage, foliage because it was so impactful. Yes, there were things in bloom but it was more about the foliage for me and they did such a great job and I just, it was such a large garden, it was hard to get a whole picture of the whole thing. And I was able to get a few good ones, but uh, I just loved it. That was my area. I just kind of kept walking around and around and and just focusing on all the different plant combinations and foliage combinations that they created. I really admired that. And then my last point that I wanted to make was the opposite of that was this kind of horseshoe-shaped area where it was just, I think it was Russian sage just in like a half-circle yes. area, and that's all they did, and it was so impactful. I'm kind of a hedge girl as well. I love things in, in, in hedges and clumped together. I wanted to come home right away and try to figure out an area where in my yard I could do something like that. So, uh, so those are the two areas that I had time to visit. I know the garden was large, but uh, just wondering what else uh, others saw there. Yeah, following up on what Joanne said, this is Beth. Um, I did notice, and I'm looking at the pictures now, too, a lot of sedges and grasses mixed in with some of the um, perennials. This is the first place that I noticed summer beauty alliums uh, Mm. during our tour, although we did see them throughout the tour. I just added them this last fall, and they're starting to bloom here now, too. They do bloom better in sun, but they also bloom in partial shade, too. They're a nice alien because they bloom at times, you know, beyond the time that most aliens bloom in the middle of the summer. Wow. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny that Joanne said the garden was so big because while it was definitely bigger than what you would have in, like, someone's property, to me it actually felt small when you compare it to a huge public garden. You know, if you Mm -hmm. compare it to, like, the Arboretum or you compare it to... The other really big garden we went to, like the Lindale Park Gardens, to me it felt much smaller than those so I really liked that but I was dying over that soil. It was like black, sandy loam and I wanted to dig it all up and bring it home
2: <laughs> and
1: um, I was walking around the perennial beds and I saw a rabbit just chomping away on all the Campanula just fat, glossy little bunny sitting right there in the middle of a buffet, and I thought, no matter how hard you work on your garden, you know, something's going to happen, and this rabbit was just chowing down. But right next to this rabbit, there was this chipmunk darting around in between all of the plants, and the chipmunk was digging in this soil, and it's like it was digging at the beach. And I said, (laughs) he dug this big hole, and the soil's just flying out, and I'm thinking, well, If that chipmunk can dig that fast and make that big of a hole that quickly, the chipmunks in my garden must have biceps. I must have, like, (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger of chipmunks (laughs) because they will dig through the soil. And I have this Virginia clay loam, so they're probably packing some heat on their bones. Um, It'd be interesting to, like you know, put my chipmunks into Minnesota and it'd be like a vacation because they're like, oh man, I (laughs) took my whole house And then like you take all these little, you know, wimpy, spoiled Minnesota chipmunks and I'd be like, dig a hole in a You got Virginia clay here, honey. They'd be like, no, I want to go home. We have that soap loam here, too, and I love my soil. It's awesome. I, just, I could not get over get over the soil. I was, like, jealous of the chipmunk. I was like, dude, move over. I want to dig a hole. <laughs> Actually, Arla is a horticulturist, right, at Nordenburg.
0: Well, and she makes those beds. I mean, she is the one that is designing those beds. And so when Tammy was talking about the soil there, I remember the very first time I saw it, that was my exact reaction was, holy cow, look at that black soil. It is amazing. And every year through Hennepin County Master Gardening Program, the master gardeners can serve their volunteer hours at the Norenberg Gardens. And I have a dear friend that goes there just so she can work with Arla. You can imagine the fount of knowledge this woman is. Learning how to plant and how to plant with the design and the flow that she's looking for. But Mary Lynn always tells me how fantastic the soil is there. And they have worked very hard to make it the way that it is. It's a mix of annuals and perennials. And I was walking through the garden with blogger Beth Billstrom, and We were fascinated by this one purple plant, and I can't remember, I can't even remember right now what it is, but it's an annual. Is it blue vervain, by chance? Uh, I don't think it was that. It was, they they had two varieties. One was a lighter purple, and then... One of the ladies that was on staff there brought us over and showed us the deeper purple. And I actually liked the deeper one better. But they were kind of sprinkled throughout the different gardens. And the unique variety was over by the grape arbor, which was absolutely beautiful. I thought this garden was another example of a great local public garden that people should have on their list for taking senior pictures or any type of special Mm. family picture, because there were so many fantastic places to take a picture and including not only the plants, but then also some of the great structural pieces that were there. They had the, it wasn't the Parthenon, but it was like these Greek columns and that was beautiful. Did you guys go over by the lake?
1: Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a gazebo, wasn't it? it right, was like right by gazebo.
0: the lake and the dock. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was like a covered pavilion dock kind of thing yeah. where you could see Lake yeah. Minnetonka. But that's also a great spot for pictures. So there were so many areas there where you could use the setting, this beautiful setting of Nuremberg Gardens as the backdrop if you were going to take any type of portrait. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh,
1: and then that grape arbor with all the plants around it is so dramatic. I mean, you can't miss that one beautiful.
0: And we weren't there very long. I think about this point in time, I mean, listeners now are getting to appreciate how jam-packed the days are when you're doing a garden blogger fling. I mean, we go. And this place was huge. For all the different nooks and crannies that we could have explored, I mean, you had to kind of pick and choose. Well, this is
1: Tammy. I am going to say that different flings go at a different pace. Okay. Not all flings go as quickly as the Minnesota fling did. When I was at the Portland Fling, we uh, had a lot more time at each garden. So I would say that sometimes you go a little faster, sometimes you go a little slower. It just depends on the itinerary created by the host. So for the Minnesota Fling, we definitely just saw as much as we could while we were there. But I know when I was at the Portland Fling, it was a very different pace. It was much, much Mm. slower. Mm. I bet. This is Brenda. So I can relate to the north. So I bet the Minnesota folks are just trying to pack it all in. Because seriously, how many days of summer do you actually have? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let's go. And don't forget that Midwestern. Yeah, I mean, it was wonderful. This is Tammy again. It was wonderful to see so much. And it'd be like, wow, these people really take the gardening (coughs) seriously. And I will say, you know, with my husband being retired Air Force, we used to live in North Dakota (laughs) and we used to live in South Dakota. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... You know, the last time I'd been to Minneapolis was when we actually did live in North Dakota, and we thought, let's get out of North Dakota. We'll take a really quick weekend vacation, and we'll go to Minnesota. You know, that's about about the amount of money that we had to spend on our vacation travel. And that's My son was a toddler, and we went to the Mall of America, and I don't even like malls but we took them to that little camp smoothie and stuff like that. We just had to get out of North Dakota. (laughs) So I totally understand how they were like, look, we garden too, and we're going to show you every garden as fast Mm -hmm. as we can. So I have an appreciation for that. Mm -hmm. But when we were, the Portland Sling had a very different pace, a very different feel to it. Um, You had a lot more time. I remember laying Wasn't it was really grass. hot in Portland too that year. I remember it was like record was, heat or something. Yeah, it was. Um, it was pretty warm that weekend, and um, you know we had Which a little is unusual. Bit. It was it was unusual, and we had like some rain come in and stuff like that. But I remember laying on the grass at one of the gardens, just chilling out, you know, talking to the <laughs> person next to me. So I would say that every fling has a little different. Personality and a little different attitude, and they go at different speeds.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good
1: to know. If you were at the Minneapolis swing and you came home and you were like, I'm exhausted, I need a vacation. (laughs) They don't, yeah, they don't all go that fast.
0: Well, you guys, you know that I drove myself because I have four kids and I was in a tour myself on Sunday. So I didn't get to join you on Sunday, but I was. So happy that I did drive myself because if I needed to just pull off and grab a coffee, I could. And also I'm a shopper. And so when I am at Bachman's or I'm at Kelly and Kelly Nursery, where you know we're about to discuss, I want to shop. I want to yeah. take a minute and you know buy some things. I just that's Part of living for me. I'm a hedonist. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, when Bryn was talking about the begonias, I was one of the people buying those begonias. They were two dollars <laughs> and fifty cents and they were fantastic. <laughs> oh my gosh, they were on sale. So how could we walk away from that? But you know what? This is great for me to know too, because if this is your first fling and for me and Bryn, this was our first fling, we don't know any different. So mm-hmm. I was coming, I was planning on renting my own car for the next fling just so that I could. Could, oh. You know, do a little bit better self care along the way. So, yeah. FYI. Oh.
1: Okay, so you might want to edit this out. So you were going to rent a fling. you were going to rent a car from my fling.
0: Yeah, just so that I could. I mean, honestly, listen. I am an extrovert. It's so life giving to me and energizing to be with other people. I love that. But honestly, it was my first fling. It was a little overwhelming at times, and I was so glad when I just got in my own car occasionally, and I could blast the AC, and it could just be me. You know, quiet in the car, just a break. Do you know what I mean? You know what?
1: It was what? intense. Um, it was intense. You know what? Okay, the Minnesota, the Minnesota fling was intense. Let me tell you what is intense: the traffic here. Because I would probably get a call from you, and you'd be like, <laughs> "Tammy, I'm in DC, <laughs> and I don't know where I am." Yeah, I have no. like, Yeah, so that could end badly. You could okay. be like, "I'm in," I think I'm in Maryland. I'm not sure. You no, know? No, no. And, um. <laughs> yeah. So, like, our traffic is crazy. Our traffic is really crazy. So while I have, I can totally relate to your need to just sit quietly, like someone said to me my first thing when we were going to Portland, do you want to be roommates? And I had to say no and don't take it personally. But like I don't even play the TV when I get back to my room. I don't even want to talk to myself at that point. I just go in my room and I put on my pajamas and I play with my phone and my room is silent as a tomb and I go mm-hmm. to sleep. So I totally get 100% where you're coming from. Yeah. But you will... You will hate yourself because you'll spend all the time in traffic trying to figure out where we're going. I've lived here for 13 years, and when I did my dry run of our D.C. day last Friday, I was depending on Google Maps to get me to one of the places we're going, and place A and place B are five miles apart. I spent an hour and a half
0: Oh my thanks gosh. to Google Maps. It okay. was
1: taking me to the wrong Part of the street, like the streets have, like V Street Northeast, M Street Northwest, and Google Maps kind of forgets that part.
2: Wow, um,
1: <laughs> which means you can end up in a totally different part of DC. And then if you're in the wrong turn lane, you end up on the highway, and then okay. you see a sign that says "Welcome to Maryland." <laughs> I would, I would, okay. I would just get on the bus and. Yeah, I think next year you'll find a little bit different.
0: Well, you've convinced me. I think after,
1: yeah, I think after when you do your second one, too, I think you just, you prepare it a little bit differently. And, and, yeah. um, yeah.
0: Well, you convinced me. The kids and I went to Boston uh, two years ago, and Phil had me rent a car. And I didn't think anything of it. Well, we literally could not park. It was lunchtime. We'd gotten off the plane, and we could not park. And he was—he uh, was at Harvard. He was going to school there, and we were meeting him for family weekend. And I literally drove around Boston, around and around and around, because I could not find a place to park. I'm crying. The kids are crying. So you've now given <laughs> me a complete flashback to my Boston experience, and I am not
1: renting that car. I'm not doing it. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> do not rent, a, do no. not rent a car. You will hate yourself and me. I would just get on the bus
0: okay. and um,
1: let the bus drivers deal with the crazy traffic. and
2: Yeah, I like, don't want to that. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would not. <laughs> I wouldn't do that at all. And then, like, one of the gardens we're going to, the woman, her property is gated. So, like, I have to tell mm. her that we're on oh. our way. Please mm-hmm. open the gate. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Stuff
0: like that. So okay. I get with
1: you. come all the way. Come all the way to the back of the bus. It's usually pretty quiet back there. Yeah. All that's, right. Right.
0: that's what we're doing. That's what uh. we're doing. All right. Well, let's chat about Kelly and Kelly nursery. This was our next stop after the Nornberg Gardens. And this is the nursery that Arla and her husband own. It is a family nursery. It's been in Mr. Kelly's family for almost a hundred years. And As someone who's lived in the Twin Cities in the Northwest part of the metro, I had never been to this garden. I was completely enchanted. I thought the prices were fantastic. I mentioned to you already that I was buying those begonias like a drunken sailor. They were $2.50, and they came with a clay pot, and I adore clay pots. And I thought the garden statuary was absolutely spectacular. I bought a kitty that had his paw in the air, and then next to him is this little mouse that's kind of looking up, and oh my gosh, it was fantastic. I could not resist, and I was completely enchanted by this nursery. It was gorgeous. Yeah, their yeah. plants looked so healthy, didn't they? They look great, and they were potting things up right there. I mean, the nursery staff were right there. If you wanted something, and you wanted it in a different pot, or you wanted a slip of something, they were doing it right there on the spot. I'd never seen anything like it.
1: One of the things I really liked about that nursery is how authentic they felt. You know, mm-hmm. they definitely were catering to plant lovers, to serious garden nerds. You know, people don't go into horticulture for the money, it's something that you go into as a passion. And while, you know, some nurseries have become really big and they're very prosperous and they're very financially successful. For someone to say, this is the size that we are, and this is what we can manage, and this has been in our family for a long time, and you know we have all these super cool plants that maybe you're not going to find at other nurseries, I have a lot of respect for that. So mm-hmm. I thought that they were a really cool place, and one of the things I was surprised at was they had a lot of terracotta pottery, and I would think that in Minnesota, terracotta would crack in the winter. And they had this one pot that was absolutely huge. And I thought, whoever buys this pot, are they going to, like, drag it into the garage or the basement every winter? And their pottery was really affordable, which was very appealing to me because the ceramic pottery in this area, if you go to a nursery to buy a big ceramic pot, you're going to drop an enormous amount of money the gardeners here all become very resourceful at finding places to buy really cheap pottery because the garden center's pottery is very pricey. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. I thought they well, all of their statuary and their pots and everything are fantastic. I will tell you what I do with my pots in Minnesota, and Beth can speak to what she does in Madison, but what I do with my I have a ton of clay pots and what I do is I cut little pieces of burlap and I stack my clay pots upside down and I'll put a little piece of burlap in between each of the pots. And I just have those kind of on display throughout my garden because I like that look. I like the burlap kind of sneaking, peeking through, and I like the look of having little stacks of clay pots here and there. I think it's kind of quaint. But the other thing I do is I have some very large ceramic and clay pots where I'm putting either some type of well it's usually some type of very hardy perennial. I do a curly willow in one and I also do a one that has a succulents. And I don't know if it's because I have so much rock on my property. I have a bluestone and Chilton everywhere. So I don't know if it's creating a little bit of a microclimate because I'm zone 4B. But um, not only do those pots overwinter with no issue, but those plants come back every year. Mm -hmm. I mean, curly willow in a pot above ground. I'm very surprised, but it does come back. So it's just, I suppose, my location.
1: Sorry, this is Tammy again. Yeah, I have a lot of pots, too, and I don't bring any of mine in. Mine just sit out on my patio all winter. But I'm a 7A, so, you know, I don't really have the issues. I've had a pot crack every now and then, but it's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. And I have a pot on my patio right now that's cracked, but I'm kind of in denial about it.
2: Yeah. And
1: Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) I guess the roots of the plant inside of it are holding everything together. So until I come out and my pot, you know, is crashed to the ground, I think I'm just going to kind of let it go. So, yeah, being 5B, yeah, with Joanne's parent 5B, we add very dangerous to leave our pots out for the winter because of the freeze and thaw. So, it's much better to to bring them in, unfortunately. So, I tend to, as much as I love them, it just, you know, that it's what always happens, just like you were mentioning um, before, Jennifer, with the cannas. You get an early winter or an early frost and you don't have them out yet, and then you've lost them. So, I tend to be, Back to my down-to-earth practical thing going well. I just have to live without some pots so uh, because of that.
0: Yep, exactly. I love hearing that you have one that's already cracked that you can't part with because I think we've all done that before. I love that. I mean, (laughs) I I have pots right now in my garden where the bottoms have dropped out because the bottom... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I can't get rid of the pot. So I pick it up and I just set it on one of those little rollers and I'm like, Well, there you go. That's your that's your new bottom. Oh so. uh, that's, <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now
1: we're talking about the one with a really cool greenhouse, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, my yeah. God. Yeah. I was in that greenhouse and it felt <laughs> so Smith and Hawkeny to me, didn't it? I mean, it yeah. just felt very almost like California. It just I couldn't believe I was in Minnesota when I was at that place. It was that fantastic. This mm-hmm.
1: a great, um, this is Brennan. It, it was a cool garden center quite different than the first one we were at for lunch right
0: yeah a
1: more cozy independent I, I like these because it shows the growers personal style and then you can't be you know across the street you have that beautiful home I'm not very good with the architecture on there but it was it was neat to talk to him about how they actually didn't do much to the house do you know the place I'm talking about Yes, Mm -hmm. this is their home,
0: home, which is kind of kitty-corner across the street from Kelly & Kelly Nursery. And they had agreed to open it up to the garden Uh bloggers. So we got a chance to walk over and tour this amazing garden and their beautiful house, which I have no idea what style house that is. That That was beautiful. It had amazing architecture on top. I don't know. What do you think? Hmm. How old that house was?
1: I would say 1920s. I'm thinking of that, too, 20s or 30s, because the way the box shape. and Yeah, it wasn't really Art Deco, but it it seemed (laughs) to be from that period, yeah. I was just busy talking to the owner there about um, the maintenance on that antique greenhouse. It's a 1930 greenhouse. Everything's working as it did back then. You know, the cranks, all those uh, gizmos to keep those going, I mean, that's, that's quite a work. Not to mention, the hardest part now is finding glass for those panels, you know, real greenhouse glass panels for that. So once we got over to the home, I was promoting my uh, my dome, of course. <laughs> 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 I would tell them, you got to put some solar wrap on that. <laughs> it's the stuff that I used to mine." <laughs> you really thought it was cool, so... Maybe he'll put a job in his backyard or something, right? Wow. (laughs) Did you get a chance to read their newsletter by chance? That was a pretty creative newsletter, too. Tell us more
0: about that, Joanne. I grabbed it. Do you think I can find it in this pile of (laughs) mail and whatnot? I still have waiting for me. I haven't gone through since the fling, but walk us through that newsletter. I grabbed one.
1: (laughs) This is Beth, um, actually, and uh, I think that it might be available through their Facebook page. I'm not sure, but... It was a very creatively written newsletter. I did kind of read through it, and it was was actually quite funny. And the drawings are really pretty nice in it, too. Oh, cool! Yeah, this is yeah. I I haven't read it yet, but anything that's garden writing, anything that's writing, is very appealing to me. And even though I haven't read it yet, I'm looking at it. So (laughs) it's on my stack of garden magazines um, that I need to read. Yeah, I think think it was their last article in that newsletter that was. Humorous. The headline is like an acronym that doesn't make any sense, and then you read it, and it's like, oh, yeah, I, I can relate to this. Oh, I read that. That was funny. That was Yeah. Funny. Well, I will say something about their garden that I really liked is that not only was the garden beautiful, of course the garden was beautiful, but you went over onto their patio, and they had filled their patio, again, with all these clay pots. And mm-hmm. as someone who is a sucker for container gardens, and I'm a sucker for buying pots and stuffing things in them. You know, one of the things I really liked was that every single container was clay. So I liked the way that kind of harmonized the patio mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And I really liked the fact that here you are in Minnesota and you know, <laughs> it's really, really cold in the winter. Everybody knows that. And they had all these speculants in all of these mm-hmm. pots and sitting there chatting with the other bloggers, I didn't feel like I was in a Zone 4 garden. I didn't feel like I was in Minnesota. I'm looking at all of these gorgeous succulents thinking they have to pull all these little guys in in the winter. They have to find a house for them. They're probably all in the greenhouse. But I thought, what a fun treat to pull out all these tender plants in the spring and put them all together again. It's like meeting up with an old friend. And it gave their patio actually a very different feel than... The rest of the garden, you know, and being from California, I sat on that patio and I felt like I was surrounded by California plants because there were so many plants that were not hardy, but I liked the contrast of that with the really tough, hardy cottage gardening plants that Mm -hmm. they had out in the rest of the garden, so I thought that was really cool. I like it when you go to a garden and there's something really unexpected... I like juxtaposition, I suppose, but mm-hmm. I like the way it's unexpected, but then you pull back, and you're like, yeah, this totally works. I get mm-hmm. this, it flows, but I didn't expect it, and I'm caught off guard, but it's super cool, and it works. Yeah, That's what I, no, mean, I, I, I agree. That. Yeah, Tammy, I agree. I think the way that the, everything being in clay pots and even all different shapes and sizes, it really unified the space, and I almost felt like a European because all that seating was kind of bistro tables and stuff and some unique chairs. So it almost felt like in Italy or something like that, being at a cafe and just having all the terracotta around you and, and different, you know, tropicals and different plants and containers. It was a beautiful, beautiful space. Yeah, you're exactly right. This is Tammy. Mm-hmm. It did feel, um, it did feel very European. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was not, you know, we'd had a busy day and it was nice mm-hmm. to just sit down and chill out and yeah. um, just chat, and it was very shady, and it was just really beautiful. And then again, the gardeners, you know, were very just humble down-to-earth people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it was a end to a very busy day, but it was a really nice, peaceful end, too. you think we'd been taking enough photos, but you no, know, even everybody around me, like, still the walk back to the bus, we were <laughs> still taking photos, you know, of the path back to the buses from their garden, and uh, there was just so much to see. So uh, so yeah, it was it was a great end to a great day like day one of the plane. It
0: was. And Absolutely. where did you guys where did you guys end up going to supper that night? Because we had supper on our own, and we had a little reception, I think, back at the hotel. But a lot of people kind of ventured out. So where did you end up in Minneapolis for dinner that night?
1: Well, some of us have kind of a funny story about Hell's Kitchen in Minneapolis. (laughs) (laughs) Actually that actually that the story starts with Jennifer because I bumped into Jennifer with Margaret and we talked about restaurant ideas and Jennifer passed me to her husband who gave me a whole bunch of ideas for dinner. But Jennifer, I don't know if you realize this. I in my head thought Hell's Kitchen in Minneapolis was the Hell's Kitchen.
0: No. No, no,
1: no. And oh. so, even though your husband was offering all these other wonderful suggestions, I still had in my head, well, I want to go back to Toronto and say I was at Hell's Kitchen, with what's his name from TV.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so,
1: and the other seven people that joined me also thought it was...
0: Oh, my two, gosh.
1: Until we sat down and looked over the menu and saw two different people <laughs> on the front. But it was... Bethany, yeah, I know you, you didn't realize that it started kind of with
0: Jennifer, but... Uh, well, that's no, so I just funny.
1: thought there was some kind of connection with the TV show, but I didn't really know much about it. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: you know, you know, this is just like when we were just talking to Tammy about should I drive in DC next year?
1: Yeah, and, and the host yeah. is
0: going, no, 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 you don't want to do that. When I was talking to you and Margaret, we had met at the Starbucks, yeah, We'd all gotten off the bus, and then you're like, we want to go to Hell's Kitchen, and I'm going you do like I mean nothing wrong with Hell's (laughs) Kitchen but but it's like if you're in Minneapolis it wouldn't have been you know like my top top place to have you go so then I'm like well I don't go into the city a lot I'm a suburban gal I've got you know four kids and so I thought well I gotta call my husband because he is you know for his job he's always eating and meeting with docs in the city and I thought well he'll know so that's why I thought well I'm gonna pass you over to him but yeah, mm-hmm. I could tell you guys were so, so passionate about it. And I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> so I think great. it's in a basement, and isn't his it? all of oh,
1: suggestions, Jennifer, all the ones he suggested were all the ones that our other experienced slingers <laughs> knew to book ahead of time. There you and go. And so all the other babies with us not only knew where they were going, but they obviously weeks in advance of the playing booked these restaurants oh. in advance. So that's what I'm going to learn from future slings as well is Okay. okay. That type of thing. So. Well, I have this to family. say that so, it was a good restaurant, though, that Health Kitchen, and they had a live band and they had very good food. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is oh, yeah. I don't watch a lot of TV. I mean, I know who Gordon Ramsay is. I go months without watching TV, and so I think I was the only one who did not make the connection between <laughs> Health Kitchen. I was just hungry. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, all these fun people are going to dinner. It's called Health Kitchen. That's kind of cool. I mean... I thought, sure, I'll go and I'll eat food and I'll just hang out because I just was so hungry. And then everyone's like, this isn't the right health kitchen. I'm like, how many (laughs) health (laughs) kitchens are there in (laughs) one city? You know, so it took me a while to, like, figure out what they were talking about. I just was like, I just need to eat food. (laughs) Okay, here's a little tidbit of information, too, just in case, I don't know, anybody's interested. Their ham and pear crisp sandwich, which is the one that I actually had, was rated one of the fifth. 50 Best Sandwiches in America.
0: What was it Ooh. called? What was it called?
1: It's called the Ham and Pear Crisp Sandwich. Ooh. Wow. Wow. It did look tasty. I really wanted yeah. to eat out of it, but it was cool. yeah. I can't have cheese. No, we all, we all had lots of different things, and it was really good food. And... uh yeah, so no regret once we got there, but I just kind of just feel a little foolish. But definitely, uh <laughs> <laughs> It made for a good story, Joanne, right? It did. It made for a good story. It definitely did. I think, so. this is Brenda, it was like all a blur. I don't know, by the time you get back and it's time to eat and you're just kind of like wherever whatever so I think I just followed a group in fact I think Jennifer weren't you
0: with us yes Bren, um, you and I were with this group and we really hadn't <laughs> met yet and then it's yeah. one of those deals where you end up kind of on one end of the table and then you were on the other end of the table uh-huh. and so <laughs> and it was my first real day at the fling so I'm just trying to meet you know whoever's sitting next to me but yeah we just went to what was it Union Tavern I think
1: yeah, well, Union Restaurant. Union I know restaurant, I had yeah. suggested because I wanted chips and salsa. I am like a salsa like crazy corn chip person. Somebody in the group had yelped it, and the restaurant I picked out didn't have a lot of stars, which is kind of funny because later that night we actually ended up over there, and the margaritas and their salsa was amazing. So, mm-hmm. but anyhow, <laughs> yeah, the Union Restaurant actually—I think we headed there because it had a rooftop eating area, but I, they were packed, and we had to get back over to the reception, right? Yes. And so, yeah, but inside was pretty cool. We sat on bar stools, though. I mean, I, I kind of like cozy your seats, but it was fun, though. The food was really good, and I'm looking back at my pictures that I forgot to Instagram this. I was so tired.
0: Well, um, and, and here's <laughs> a tip for Tammy for next year, I think, is our group didn't have a sense of whether or not this reception was really going to feed us. And we were like "Mm -hmm." ravenous.
1: When you get my itinerary next year, it's going to have things written into it um, that I feel, it's all the information I would want to know as a flinger. Mm. Like three o'clock snacks provided and drinks and stuff like that. And then, you know, reception to be held, um, light appetizers you know, that type of thing. So people can say, oh, yeah, we're going to come back, and we're going to be kind of hungry, but let's freshen up, and then we'll grab just, you know, some little snacks here at this reception, and then let's all go and get some dinner. So you don't confuse the reception with dinner, but then you don't go to dinner and miss the reception because the reception was fun. Thinking yes. that Yeah. Well And, and she- I think it was important because a sponsor actually hosted that event. Yeah. So I think missing out on it, you know, it's nice to make sure you're attending it. So knowing that there, I was lucky enough to have actually been in the elevator with Jim. So I knew that there was food and was able to attend and then go to dinner. But, you know, I think it wasn't just a a cocktail. It was hosted by a sponsor. So I think that's why it really, communication is important so that we can all support the sponsor, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And that's actually, that's really crucial. This is Tammy Mm -hmm. because... When we were in Toronto, and I'm very guilty of not attending the event because I did not realize the magnitude of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much money the sponsor had spent. I didn't realize what was involved. And Beth and I got to the event later, and we attended the event. But, like, the main part of the event was over. And then when I found out how much money had been spent on it and that there was more food available than I realized, you know, I really felt kind of bad. And I thought, well, this is just a little light, like cracker and wine kind of thing. I'm going to be starving. And <laughs> I was starving. And, you know, I'm going to go to eat with my friends and I'm going to chow down. You know, it might be a situation of saying to them, if you could please attend this, this is part of the fling. And then there's time
0: to go to dinner after. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Well, you know, one thing that I would have liked, and if I can just a little bug in your ear about it would be when there is an opportunity to sit together and eat, it would be kind of fun to group us by certain things. Like if you've been blogging less than two years, we're going to put you at a table. We're going to put the old vets together. We're going to do, we'll have a seating chart and it'll be by zone. So, you know, the cold climate gardeners will be here or, you know, or for me, I was like, gosh, I found out that there were, you know, other than Amy and Kathleen, I found out that there were other Minnesota bloggers. Well, I didn't know who they were. And I never met the gal from Duluth, so I still don't know who she is. And it was just a very, very fluky thing that on Saturday night, I happened to sit next to um, this gal that blogs and she's, what, 10 minutes from my house? I wouldn't have even known. Wow. So, I mean, that part, I think, would have been really neat to have, you know, sit people regionally. They get one night or one meal where they're together and they can go, oh, yeah, yeah, we're together. We're the Midwestern bloggers or we're the northeast bloggers um, you know what i mean just to and kind then maybe of, yeah. mix it up
1: after that you know you can yeah. do that and then mix it up so you're with somebody totally
0: different zone and different kinds of yeah. plants yeah i
1: find that fascinating to compare notes with people in a totally yeah. different yes type.
0: yes because otherwise yeah, yeah that's you know, a great idea Jennifer. otherwise you're just commando anyway well let's wow, let's get back kids, up and Tammy. yeah yeah i'm trying to i'm
1: sitting here thinking how i can incorporate mm-hmm. that and um I think next year we're going to have about a hundred people. But yeah, no, I um, no, I've got things I can do without making you all feel like you're in my classroom. <laughs> yeah, <So. laughs> yeah. Um, Looking yeah, forward no, to it. No, I think there's um, and next year's opening event I've already planned it. Um, we'll be a little bit different from this year's opening event, but there'll be more people too. I think we're going to hit capacity pretty quickly. Um, at least that's my hope. Because um, when I was at the Portland sling I'm a pretty outgoing person, but I'm one of those people where when I'm in a new situation and I'm with brand new people, I will hold back and um, I'm going to observe everybody first and then I'm going to kind of go in and introduce people. And when people were like, I I read your blog, I was really weirded out like you do. (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah. I remember that that feeling too. (laughs) It felt really strange. So, no, I I get where you're coming from, Jen, and I think there's a way to address the newness and address the fact that I'm here to connect with people and it's hard to connect with people if I've got, you know, all these strangers besides um, mm-hmm. so just randomly introducing myself. So no, I think um, I think that's something I'll work on. I'll come up with an idea.
0: Okay, great. great. All right, gals, let's wrap this thing up here. We got just a few other questions. Let's start with um, garden blogging for most folks starts as a hobby. How did you guys get started blogging?
1: Well, I'll start with that. This is Tammy. I would send pictures to my Aunt Marilyn of the garden and I would write to her little emails and tell her what's happening in the garden and I would crash her computer (laughs) because I would send her these, you know, huge files and she had a really old, junky computer and I didn't know how to minimize the files and, (laughs) you know, half the time she couldn't even open the pictures and I really love to write. I very much identify as a writer and so I thought, well, I'd been to some blogs and honestly, I wasn't impressed. I didn't get it. I didn't like the blogs I'd been to. And I thought, well, you know, I'm a pretty persistent person. I thought, let me just keep looking for garden blogs. Let me get a broader sense of what it is to be a blogger and see if this is something that's appealing. And I started finding garden blogs that I thought were incredible. And then my attitude towards them really shifted. So I thought, well, (laughs) I keep crashing my aunt's computer And now I'm finding these amazing garden blogs and this would give me an outlet to write because I wasn't doing a lot of writing at the time. So I thought maybe I'll make a blog and I thought if nobody reads (laughs) it but my Aunt Marilyn, I thought that's okay. But the first couple of posts I did, I couldn't figure out how to get my pictures onto the posts, And I'm not a very good photographer so my pictures were rotten anyway. So my (laughs) my first couple of posts, don't even have pictures on them. And then it took me a while to kind of figure out who I was as a blogger and kind of get my groove and figure out how to put up a post that actually looked pretty good. And uh, my Aunt Marilyn is still my biggest fan. She reads all of my posts. Oh, <laughs> well, that's <Yeah>. so cute. <laughs> Excellent. Oh yeah, uh, Tammy. Uh, this is Beth, and yeah. I think you were one of my first, you know, friends online. And I remember reading your posts and just laughing out loud, and then having to read them to my husband. So um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan. And oh, thanks. So similar start for me. I had started documenting my garden with photos a long time ago, and then I started trying to do some garden writing for some publications. And I asked, "Do you have a blog?" And I was like, "No, I don't have a blog." So I just decided to start a blog, and it just changed from that. So, Well, I have a kind of a different um, story on how mine evolved. Uh, as I mentioned, this is Joanne, sorry, by the way. As I mentioned earlier, that I'm a landscape designer. And so every year, and with our seasons, you know, it's very seasonal here in Ontario, I get, you know, new clients every year. And I found like couldn't, with social media and emails and texts, I couldn't keep up with all my clients' questions after the fact. Because um, I love my clients and I love helping them look after the gardens I designed for them and installed for them. So I felt like I wasn't doing a great service uh, if I couldn't keep up with answering their questions and helping them. So I decided to flip it. And instead of being reactive with the information, I started a newsletter to be proactive and kind of get them the information before they needed it. You know, down again, I focus on down-to-earth practical tips. Don't do this in the garden now. Do this in the garden now. And I felt like if they got that in their um, email box at the beginning of every month, then they'd know what to do. And it helped me cut down on my emails. So then the blog, kind of the articles that I wrote for that newsletter, started to be blog posts for my website. And then two years ago, I kind of took it a step further in helping people and with my down-to-earth practical advice and then started a gardening radio show also. So, Monday night, so anybody who wants to listen in for tips and interesting topics, they could uh, listen to that show, and then I could post the recordings also to my blog. So, my blog's a little eclectic, mix of articles and tips and tricks, uh, very seasonal. So, yeah, so that's how mine mine evolved to kind of solve a problem for me, but uh, I don't really consider myself a writer, but I do want to share as much tips and tricks and provoke thoughts, About gardening and and things like that to my, uh, to everyone. So that's how my, uh, mine evolved.
0: Well, and let's chat a little bit about re-entry into the real world for bloggers after an event like the Fling because there's a ton of photos to go through and you know, you really can't be a garden blogger without taking photos of the garden. So I'm very curious about how each of you handle the post-production after an event like the Fling because you'll have pictures to go through, you'll have notes maybe that you've taken during the event. How do you decide what to blog about? after an event like The Fling.
1: This is Tammy, and every year the post is exactly the same, just with different words and a different emotion, but the theme is always the same, and that is that I go to The Fling for the people, and as much as I blog because I am a writer and because I want to document what's happening in my garden, I write very much to connect with my audience. So for me, it's all about, you know, the people. If I did not love the people who went to a blogger fling, I would not go. It wouldn't Mm -hmm. matter how beautiful the gardens are. If I did not love those people and if they weren't my friends and if they weren't people that I looked forward to seeing every year, I wouldn't go. Um, Amen. (laughs) Yeah, so for me, the post is always about just how fun the fling is and it's always about the people. Wow. do that. I just do that one post. And, you know, the posts I did after I came back from Portland and the one I did after I came back from Toronto were much more kind of heartfelt. You know, this post here I put up very quickly and I thought, well, I've already written this post twice before, but I'm going to say it again. It's about the people. It's about having fun. It's about being with your tribe. And so that's, you know, the post I put up and it's kind of short and sweet and to the point. That looks great. Gosh, so um, I would say, you know, if you're you're blogging already, if you're sharing on social media, right, while you're at the events and stuff, which, you know, I kind of took it easy on at the blogger fling. It was actually kind of a relaxing. Um, I don't know. I still ended up sharing a whole lot, but it was very relaxing. So I would say the first thing to do when you get home, empty that phone, get all mm-hmm. those images off there. Whether you put it on a Flickr account and then make it private on that Flickr account so you can go back in and you can tag everything with the right tags and put your website on that so you can get the traffic over to your page, right? And then also unload your camera memory. I'm I'm amazed that some gardeners I meet up at these events and, like, they still have photos on there from last year. It's like unload them, put them on a DVD or, you know, an external drive, something, so you don't lose it because I think it's really good to kind of, you know, we loved the Garden Blogger event. It was so much fun. Space it out. Why can't you talk about this in the wintertime? You know, mm-hmm. when you're freezing, put a post up, right? Um, well, yeah. a lot, this is, um, this is Tammy, sorry to put uh-huh. in a lot yeah. of bloggers do that. A lot of bloggers yeah. will not post about the fling mm-hmm. until the winter, and they're very funny about it. They're like, you know, my garden is covered with four feet of snow, so let's talk about what I did, you know, in June or July. So that's Mm -hmm. actually really, really common. Yeah, and that's great because then you're like, oh, yeah, that was so fun. And,
2: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: look at that gorgeous garden. And, you know, I'm not going to have four feet of snow. I wish I would have four feet of snow because then I'd have snow days. Um, That's that's what I wish for. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Every teacher wants snow days. But even here where our winters are much milder than Minnesota, I look out at my garden and it's just brown and blah, and I'm like, ugh. So then people start posting about the fling and I'm like, yeah, that was so fun. Look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. That is a neat thing because you never know who's going to blog when and what they're going to mm-hmm. blog about. And I know um, even Jim Charlier has been still posting pictures from the Toronto. He wasn't at the blog this year because he, or at the fling this year because he's part of the Buffalo Walk, which is this weekend. But he was at the Toronto show and, and all through his social media, he's still been um, posting pictures from, from the Toronto fling. So it's it is neat to see that it can kind of continue. So, yeah, so I think it's, uh, for me, it's hard. I don't know where I'm going to start yet, but it'll come to me, and i am just been enjoying watching what others are posting, and I'm still sorting through my pictures and waiting to see a bit of a theme, I think. But uh, we'll see.
0: Well, and I think that, you know, experience in a garden is so personal, and It's Mm -hmm. been really fun to see the posts roll in because they are starting to come out. And if people just Google Garden Bloggers Fling or GB Fling 2016, a lot of the most recent posts will be associated with that hashtag. Isn't it funny because, you know, since it is personal, sometimes the garden will speak more to you than it will to other people. And as the Mm -hmm. posts have been rolling through, I'm like, oh my gosh, you saw that or you felt that it, you know, I didn't have the same reaction. And then other times it's like, oh my gosh, you totally hit it on the head or even, if you miss something, which it's entirely possible to do because these spaces kind of suck you in and then you don't get to see the entire garden, it's been great because it's almost like you get a second chance at that to appreciate some of these places we went, which is fantastic. So,
1: Yeah, and it amazes me, this is Beth again, to see how people see a garden, even though they're looking at the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all have different eyes and perspectives, and it gives you a new appreciation for that particular garden just to see it through somebody else's eyes.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Well, I'd love to hear your thoughts on social media because gardening is so high touch and yet here we are blogging and it's very high tech, which a lot of times is a barrier for people to get started blogging. And social media in and of itself is such a huge thing for someone to deal with. I'm so curious what your approach is to navigating social media as a garden blogger.
1: Well, I can tell you, this is Tammy, I can tell you my approach. I don't use social media at all. To advertise anything I'm doing on my blog. The exception to that will be the 2017 Garden Blogger Fling, because I'm the coordinator for that. Because, you know, I am a garden blogger, but I'm a teacher. And so I hide on social media. (laughs) I make myself very hard to find. And I have to do that because I have to keep my professional life and my personal life extremely Mm -hmm. simple. This is Beth again. I think I'm sort of in between on the whole social media thing. I'm starting to use Facebook more than I did in the past because it's allowing me to connect with a lot more people personally and in the moment. And also, I've had a private Instagram account for many years and recently made it public because I'm finding that those quick photos are a nice way to compare notes with other gardeners. But like Tammy, I don't want to get overwhelmed because my blog is just something I do for fun, Mm -hmm. although I do do some garden writing as well. So I'm very much in between on the social media spectrum, I would say. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think because my blog kind of comes from my job, so I'm I'm different from Tammy in that this is how I earn my income, kind of, by being a garden designer and landscape designer. So I find that social media has helped with that, mostly Facebook. My clients love seeing the before and after pictures and the during pictures. And so I find I need to use social media for my business. Um, Twitter I found more effective for meeting people for the radio show. That's where I met uh, Bren, um, who's on my show twice on the radio show before we even met at the Fling. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> so Twitter has been a great way for me to reach out. There are a couple other Flingers there that had been on the show that I had never met in person, so it was kind of nice. So Twitter has been a great tool for me for that. And Facebook and Instagram, to a certain point. Instagram, I'm finding more... Supportive, like other designers and other contractors, we kind of support each other and support the work that we're doing, that type of thing. So each stream has a different feel for me, but it is a challenge to maintain that. And it is a challenge to maintain a balance between your private life and your business, for sure. So I find the balancing of a, you know my business page and my personal page a bit challenging. And it can almost become a full-time job. So I, I really enjoy social media. But I have to remember sometimes I have to remind myself when I'm in my office, oh, wait a minute. You're getting paid to do the landscape design, not mm-hmm. to play on Facebook all day. Yeah. So uh, so definitely uh, that that is a challenge for sure. Oh, I love social media. This is Bren. I don't know where to start. Yeah, you um, are very, yeah. very active. <laughs> Bren is Brent. so active. First of all, I would say, because we all blog, you definitely want to have all your social media sites on your blog. I have it at the top. So people can find you, even if you're not there, they're there and you want to be there. You you know, you want that traffic because you're blogging, you're, you're putting that information out there and not to mention, you're also providing a great service because you're teaching people how to grow things. And that's why I love social media. It's so cool. I can't tell you how many times I've been outside. And everything from I share a picture of a rose shrub I had, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this thing's a monster. Where the heck do I begin? And I tweeted a picture and said, help, how do I prune this? And I have a breeder tweet me or a rosarian tweeted me that time (laughs) actually telling me what that plant is, how to prune it. That's priceless to me, right? So you hate Twitter. You don't have time for Instagram. That's fine. Get over there, though, and save your spot. You should have an account, even if you don't use it, at the top where your bio is. Put your website in there, your blog, so people can find you. Because you're going on these blogging events, I'm going to be talking about you. And so I can tag you, and people can come over and look at the information you're sharing, right? So, yeah, I like it.
0: Well, and tell us a little bit more about Garden Chat, Brynn, because when I met you, when I finally met you, my last day of the Fling, which was Saturday for me, and you're like, oh, this is my first time at the Fling, I was staggered by that because I just felt like you were so integrated already into the garden blogging community, and it's all thanks to your heavy use of social media.
1: Yes, I am there. Garden Chat, oh boy, we're going on, I think, our seventh year, and it started out just a group of gardeners. We were having fun talking on Twitter about our gardens and how to grow things and it evolved into a Monday night event and we have topics usually every week or just an open forum and just amazing people who specialize on everything I mean from organic gardening to pruning trees to cooking it up you know whatever it's also evolved we're also you can find garden chat over on Facebook we have a huge community on there we're closing in on 10,000 members which I'm super excited Because a lot of the women that are sharing over there and then they don't even have blogs they're just excited to share their gardens and different plants that they're seeing when they're out at garden centers and they're looking for people like you guys to share you know to help them grow right so yeah that's That's what it's
0: about. And then, Bryn, I just have to have you take this whole Garden Chat thing and bring it down, like, to the most novice person that's starting on Twitter. If they wanted to join you on Garden Chat, what do they do? Well. So this next Monday night, for instance, I have a Twitter account. How do Mm -hmm. I be part of Garden Chat with you?
1: Okay, so you're in Minnesota. It's Monday night. Chances are... You're still outside because it's still, you're still getting a little fun at 8 o'clock, right?
0: Is it 8 o'clock yeah. Central time when you're doing it?
1: Uh, yes. Wait, okay. is that right? I get confused. It's 9 o'clock ET, so yes, 8, yeah. o- eight
0: o'clock so, Central, 9 o'clock Eastern. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I'm guessing you'll probably be on your phone. And so you're going to want to pull up the Twitter app. And in your search bar, you're going to want to put hashtag Garden Chat. And then you'll get choices on there um you'll want to go to the live stream on there just hit live and you'll see everybody on there just sharing information about what the topic is and it's fun cuz the first 15 minutes you jump right in don't be shy share what garden zone you're in which is it's a fun thing to do because then you'll be surprised how many people are actually in your area growing and sharing on Twitter as well and about 9:15 the questions start rolling And that's when it gets a little crazy. Like last night, we actually trended last night. We had the, uh, let's see, the Democratic Party had their event with number one, of course. Number two was The Bachelorette. Number three was Garden Chat. Oh, that's (laughs) amazing. That's amazing. What? That is awesome. Wow. And I'll tell you, every week I panic, especially in the summer because I'm thinking, this is going to be the one time no one's going to show up. It's, it's going to happen. One day it's going to happen. And I'm thinking this has got to be it because I've been so busy gardening, growing everywhere. I'm like in the dome. I'm out in my greenhouse. I'm out in the container gardens. I'm out front. I'm in the meadow. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> right? It, and so I was kind of last minute putting this together, and it's you know we're heading into August. We're going to be, what do you sow? What seeds can you start in August? Actually, a fellow garden blogger suggested that to me because I tweeted out, help. What do we talk about? <laughs> mm. So, But anyhow, the so last night was about what seeds you can start sowing in August. And it covered just about every zone. So Virginia, up to California, great tips from everyone sharing what you can plant right now to enjoy all the way into autumn. So it was pretty cool. Um, if it gets a little busy and you get lost on your phone, on the app, you can always... Click over and follow at the garden chat. All the questions are right there. Just click on it. Answer the question. So you can be included in the recap because you can find all the recaps and the answers, everything everybody shared over on my website at brenhoff.com. Just click on the garden chat at the top of the page. It's that easy. Join us. It's fun. All right. do, and Jennifer, I sometimes you can just go uh, how I started with I would just go and be an observer. So I didn't really yeah. answer the questions like Brent said, but you kind yeah. of you kind of figure it out and kind of meet the people and stuff and kind of watch what's happening and yeah. and um so it's okay. Like you don't have to say something if you don't want to no. and then yeah. before you know it you're like answering questions or asking yeah. a question or <laughs> commenting, it, it's pretty neat. All just right. lurk. Lurker lurkers are well
0: Okay. There you go. <laughs> all right, ladies. And the Monday Garden Night.
1: Chat uh, Facebook group is really helpful too. I've enjoyed following that. Oh, it's crazy lately. It's awesome. Awesome people. Yeah. Gardeners <laughs> are all amazing. They really they are. are. That's a good point. Yep.
0: <laughs> well, why don't we close by having each one of you talk about where we can find you online, of course, and then what um, upcoming events you might be attending.
1: This is Beth. Um My blog is plantpostings.com again, and the The name, the subhead, and that kind of thing might change over time, but you'll always be able to find me at plantpostings.com. It's a blogger blog, and the links to all my feeds, including Instagram, Facebook, all the social media, are right there on plantpostings.com. Talking about upcoming events, I spend a lot of time at the UW-Madison Arboretum. I'm a volunteer there and an instructor there, and there are many events and learning opportunities right there at the Arboretum. Even for people who live in Minnesota, Iowa, wherever, around in the Midwest, it's an awesome place. It's kind of like the Eloise Butler Wildflower Garden, um, but it's unique in its own way, too. And to find out more about the Arboretum, it's arboretum.wisd.edu. Cool. Thanks. Um, so this is Joanne. So my business is Down to Earth, Landscape Design. So my website is downtoearth at number two, uh, dot com. So my blog is on that page, as is all my social media links also. So that's probably the best place to find me. And uh, again, my radio show, so kind of an event, but kind of a weekly thing, is my radio show, which is on realityradio101.com on Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
0: And if people want to listen to you on a particular show, is there a way that they can listen to previous episodes?
1: They can on my blog. So if you go to the downtoearth.ca uh, slash blog, all my past shows, November will be two years. So I've got a lot of shows up there. And I think I've interviewed a lot of interesting people and authors and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, it takes a day or so after uh, an episode, live episode, then I load it up onto the website. Well, I'll go ahead and start because we have the next sling um, coming up. And this is Tammy. You can find me online on my blog. As I start to talk more and more about the next fling, you will find me on the Garden Blogger Fling group on Facebook. That is the only place on Facebook that you will find me. I do have a Facebook account, but it's really more private, and I don't talk about too much gardening stuff on it. Mm -hmm. So I am the director of the 2017 fling, and that's going to be held here in the Capital (laughs) Region. I'm really excited about it. And the Capital Region is a local term that is used to describe the Washington, D.C. area. And what people may not be aware of is that D.C. is actually a small city, and most of the people who work in D.C. don't live there. So you have Northern Virginia, and then you have Suburban Maryland, which is kind of the Wheaton, Silver Spring, Bethesda area that surrounds D.C. And most people who work in D.C. actually commute in, And then you have a lot of the agencies that support the government that are actually in Maryland and Virginia. So what I decided to do when I was at the Portland Fling, which was my first Fling, you know, I'm riding around on the bus and we're going to all of these gardens. And I was like, you know what? This is a field trip for grown-ups. And I was like, "I, I could do this. I could plan a field trip. I could take people's money. I could get their paperwork. I could get them fed, put them on a bus and give them fun stuff to do. And I decided then that I would go ahead and I would start to plan a fling. But the thing about my fling that makes it a little bit different is that I'm not a botanist. I'm not a horticulturalist. I don't live in D.C. I live outside of it. So I didn't come to my idea with any bias that it had to be done one specific way. I decided that I would show everybody the Capital Region as I experienced it when I moved here 13 years ago. So... If you were to take the White House and put it into the middle of a circle, and then you went out in a 45-mile radius around the White House, that is the capital region. And so we are going to start off with a day in D.C. where you are seeing some classic iconic sites of D.C., including the Smithsonian Gardens and the Botanic Garden. And then we're going to see a site of D.C. in the afternoon that's very under the radar, that's very much known only to locals before we finish up at a large public garden. So we have Friday, which is Pier, D.C. On Saturday, we're going out into the suburbs of Maryland and Northern Virginia, and you're going to see some amazing private gardens as well as a large public garden. And then on Sunday, we're heading out to the outer suburbs, and we're heading out to the wine country. And a lot of people who aren't familiar with this part of the country don't realize that Virginia has World class Wines. So, everybody will come to my garden, which I'm kind of a nervous wreck about, but we are going to some gorgeous gardens out in the country. We'll be having lunch at a beautiful winery with a view of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and then we will be finishing up with a final dinner at a large public garden. So, that is the 2017 Capital Region Garden Bloggers Sling, and that will be held June 22nd through the 25th. 2017 and registration starts October 15th at 12 noon Eastern Time. And the post, and that's actually important, the post that I put up August 1st on my blog and my blog is Casa Mariposa will give you much greater information on how to register and more information about what we'll be doing at the Fling, but I think the Fling is going to be amazing. Like I'm excited to attend my own fling.
0: <laughs> wow! And Tammy, great, Tammy, Tammy, for people Thanks. who are listening that are thinking, "I think I'm going to do this now. This sounds really fun," they need to know that you get vetted before you're approved to register for the fling. The organizers check out the blog first, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. This is for garden bloggers, and I had someone say to me, "Well, anybody who's a gardener can come, can't they?" And I had to say, "No, not really." We are capping attendance at approximately 95 to 100 people, and if you are not a garden blogger, you are not able to attend. So your blog has to be six months old by October 15th, and you had to have written one post by that time. So if you have a blog, but the blog is not really about gardening, then you're not going to be able to attend because it is for garden bloggers and What everyone will do is I will release the email that will be used to contact me for registration prior to the 15th of October and then when registration starts at 12 noon, that's when I'll actually start opening emails and, you know, I will see, okay, so this email is from Beth at Plant Postings, you know, check out her blog. She's been blogging for a long time. Then I will respond to her with a link to a private Eventbrite registration page. If I have not vetted your blog, you don't get a response to with the link. Every single person who emails me, I'm going to go and I'm going to check their blog. If we sell out very quickly, which has happened in the past, and I get an email from someone, you know, a couple weeks later, and you know, I'll still respond to them and say we are sold out, but I would love to put you on the waiting list and people have had to cancel in the past, and we've pulled people off the waiting list.
0: Mm -hmm. But it
1: definitely is for garden bloggers.
0: And you do expect it to fill quickly, which I think is another important point. People should not be waiting to see if they want to do it. If the spirit moves them, they need to register pretty quick.
1: I am expecting this to fill up really quickly. And one of the things I like about Eventbrite is that there is actually a registration countdown. So when you pull up the link that I email you, you will see exactly how many spots are left. And so it gives people a sense of urgency that I really need to go ahead and register for this because there's only so many spots left. And, you know, you can pull up the Eventbrite link and then come back in half an hour to see how many spots have changed. But I have the feeling it's going to fill up really fast.
0: Okay. All right. Anybody else have anything else they want to share? Now's the time. Crickets. All right. Well, gals, I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time and taking the time to really walk us through day one of the Garden Bloggers flying 2016. Hopefully, we'll see you in 2017 in D.C. for the next Garden Bloggers Flying.
1: Yeah. I, thanks so much for having me on, Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for
0: doing this. Well, I really appreciate it. So have a great day, you guys.
1: Thank
0: okay. you. Bye, guys. Bye, Bye, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for our show today. I want to thank my garden friends and fellow garden bloggers for being on the show. Joanne Shaw out of Ontario. She blogs at downtoearth.com and it's down and then the number two, earth, and that's how you'll find her online. She has her own landscape business and she also helps clients with gardening through her website. She has an internet radio show devoted to gardening as well, and you can find that on her website as well and she gardens in Zone 5B in Canada. And Beth Stettenfield of plantpostings.com, where she's been blogging for the past six years. She's practically my neighbor out of McFarland, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Madison, and she's uh, gardens in Zone 5A. I want to thank Bryn Haas of Creative Living and Growing with Bryn, You can, of course, find her at BrynHaas.com. She's in Northwest Ohio, Zone 5B. She's got her 11 acres of woods, that 10 by 13 greenhouse. And then, of course, the thing I always think of when I think of Bryn, which is her 20-foot geodesic biodome. Oh, my gosh, so jelly. Now, if you want to get a hold of Bryn, you can always get on Twitter and just look up the hashtag Garden Chat. You'll run right into Bryn. And then Tammy Schmidt, six years blogging at Casa Mariposa. She has an organic pollinator garden. She's in 7A, Zone 7A in Northern Virginia, right outside of D.C., and is also hosting the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling. So I want to thank you all ladies for being with me today and going over day one of the 2016 Garden Bloggers Fling out of Minneapolis. I want to thank my team at Podfly Productions, David Myers, i'm kadina and david gregerson and my podcast production assistant taylor davy just a reminder that i'll have all the information from today's show and there is a ton of it on my website at sixfootmama.com that's the number six f-t-m-a-m-a.com and you'll find the show notes for today's episode on day one of the garden bloggers Fling at my website and again it's sixfootmama.com that's the number six f-t-m-a-m-a.com and don't forget i'd love to have you join me in the still growing podcast group on facebook that's the listener community that's where i post great garden giveaways it's where you can interact with other listeners and guests of the show like the four bloggers that were featured on the show today as well as great gardeners such as is Joel Karsten of Straw Bale Gardening and Marta McDowell, the author of All the President's Gardens. So go ahead, check it out. I'd love to meet you in the Still Growing podcast group on Facebook. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Eveling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow.